Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Baltimore Arena for the Great American Bass. So then we get Eric Bischoff outside the locker room of Missy Hyatt. He uh, he decides to go in and he's quite excited about this. We are shown that Jason Jason Hervey of the Wonder Years fame has sent her a card of encouragement. Bischoff then realises that Hyatt, Hyatt is in the shower and he gets very excited about that as well. He decides to go in. You know, he doesn't he doesn't think twice about it. He decides to go in. But when uh, she realises he's there, she starts screaming and calling him a peeping Tom as he kind of hastily retreats. Bit of silliness, I suppose. There's a couple of thoughts on this. Basically, <laughs> Eric Bischoff is channeling his stifler in American Pie 2 going into the house of the lesbians and looking for the dildo. <laughs> he's, he's got a bit of that energy going on about him. And also, it's just what a fucking creepy perf. It's like an absolute perf. It's the sort of thing, it's like, again, it's like Richie in Bottom, you know, going and, and lifting up the quilt and taking the photograph under Mrs. Rottweiler's quilt. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then she starts throwing her shampoo and stuff at him and calls him a peeping Tom. And I was like, oh, why do we always get the bad rap? Why is it not a peeping <laughs> Ben or a peeping Matt? For example, why does that have to be me? Well, I think we all know why, Tom. <laughs> 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 the, the fact that Bischoff was even said like the, I, I've got the quote as well like it was almost with like a wink and a smile to the camera going somebody's got to do this job yeah and I, I find it incredible so Jason Hervey plays the older brother of Kevin in the mm. Wonder Years he's also in Back to the Future so that's another great place to face the Future he's one of the kids around in the 50s around the table he's wearing the old um, the Davy Crockett hat around the table um, he's, he's a bit younger than he is in the Wonder Years yeah. so he's quite a lot younger but yeah and he I think did some work as well as part of WCW in general I think he did work I think he's done some stuff with Eric Bischoff over time must be a friend of his or whatever but anyway bizarre that they decided that that was uh, who would send Missy Hyatt the, uh, the the good luck message it's just such a wonderfully dated reference isn't it <laughs> it is a magnificent Matt do you even know what the Wonder Years is I, I do I, I've never seen it but yes I'm aware of it <laughs> The problem is it used to be on the same time as the Fresh Prince used to be on. So you haven't seen Fresh Prince? Oh, fucking hell, man. That's weird. Oh. I mean, I, I find that strange because the one years I used to watch um, and my family probably wouldn't have wanted to watch the, the Fresh Prince, but we used to watch the one years and, and it's a fucking great show. But I thought everyone had seen the Fresh Prince. Honestly, I get I get told it all the time. And I, honestly, I'm not making it. Generally, I've never, never seen it. And because it was when I was growing up, it was on the Trouble Channel. Oh, yeah. and, and I hated that channel. So if anything was on there, that wouldn't oh, watch it. Do you know what I fucking oh I love trouble. I used to love trouble. I used to love all the Peter Engel productions, Saved by the Bow, Malibu well, CA, City City Guys. I oh, genuinely amazing. I genuinely don't even know what the Trouble Channel is. I, I only know oh. these shows because they were on terrestrial TV. So Fresh Channel twenty six, mate. Channel twenty six used to be. Ch- Fresh Prince was on BBC two, Saved by the Bow and all those ones were on channel four on a, on a Saturday morning. Or Sunday morning, sorry, not Saturday morning. Sunday mm. morning. Saturday morning was all the sports shows, football Italia, and all that stuff. But then, it, yeah. then it moved. Then it all moved. Like when when I became like a t- when we were teenagers, it all dropped off Channel Four and all went on to Trouble. But they were just replays. So but they were amazing. Seven, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Amazing watch. Nickelodeon was Channel Twenty Three, and uh, Trouble was Twenty Six. Now you can ask me about anybody who we went to school with, Tinky. I don't remember any of their names or anyone, but I can tell you what fucking Channel Trouble was.
Welcome once again to the Random Wrestling Review, and this week you can be assured of lots of double entendres centred around the word bash, as we cover the Great American Bash from 1991. Joining me today is Tom Smith. Hello Ben, how are you doing today? Ben? Ugh, no, I don't like that. <laughs> start again, start again. Oh. Uh, and also we have the polar bear, Matt Roberts. The polar bear, he was christened last week after showing himself to be the polar opposite to everybody else constantly. We've decided to call him the polar bear from now on. Like that. That's such that's a shock, isn't it? I mean, my God, yeah. Because I haven't had any abuse on Twitter over the last 24, 48 hours, have I? It's been fucking... It's been so savage. It's been amusing me so much just looking at you getting absolutely pummeled every, every five minutes by Rockstar Cookie and other people actually shitting on you. I, I look away for five minutes and the next thing I know I have like 15 notifications. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, well, Matt, if, if you will be such a cunt, then that's what you get, basically. Let's <laughs> <laughs> this, this be real here. It's just because I'm not in the, the Bret Hart is the best there was, best there ever will be club. That's what it is. You know, it's not even that, but you, you were trying to troll me the other day by saying that Coronation Street is better than EastEnders. So it wasn't even... Any, in fact, that well, that hurt me more. That cut me more than Tatanka and Bret Hart. That's genuinely true, though. Corey is much better than EastEnders. Maybe it's a Welsh thing, Tinky. Maybe. <laughs> I'll be wrong all the time, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, zing. No, we're going to be fucking... We're going to go across that bridge. We're going to have fucking cabbages and tomatoes and all sorts thrown at us on the 3rd of September, aren't we? Jesus. Well, as we don't have old man on this week's show to tell you to rate review and remember ken patera it falls to me to tell you to rate us review us and if you really must remember ken patera feel free to do that too if we got a chance i don't want to jump on the remembering kind of bandwagon because that is very much old man's thing but i just want everyone to never forget that glenn jacobs is an absolute cunt there we go well he's right what's your issue with that matt <laughs> let's get into it let's get into it eh? uh, I, I've, I've stayed well away from that hot potato over the you, last you, week or two I've noticed you are very apolitical, just in general, um, certainly in public. I, w- I wonder if that's because you're a raging racist and <laughs> tell anyone about it. Wow. Politics is just one of those things. No, I just I just try my utmost best to avoid. It's, it's, just, it's the potential to really piss too many people off. And I think I do a good job enough of that as it is. So, yeah, screw that. I think that the thing to remember, though, is if you've got strong political beliefs or convictions on one side, it doesn't matter if you piss the other people off because they're inherently wrong. Yeah. So, so that's absolutely fine. That's, that's definitely Tinkies and a stance that I'm coming around to more and more often. Absolutely. So we've got plenty to cover today. I think this is going to be a very interesting episode uh, as we go through it. But let's talk about our topic this week. And our topic this week I've chosen because we last week we spoke about all the Vince McMahon stuff that's going on. In the busyness of all of that, we haven't spoken about the potential for Sasha Banks to also be leaving WWE. Now, there has been some reports that she was released over the weekend. There has been some counter reports since as well that suggest she's still on the roster so goodness knows what's actually happening but i thought we would still take a look and think about what we uh, have to say about sasha banks potentially not being in wwe anymore and certainly the way that she's been treated over the past not just the last six months i suppose but pretty much since he's been in wwe um matt let's start with you because you're obviously going to be really political about it and say that you hate her because she's a woman or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, seriously, who watches women's wrestling? Is shit, right? No, I mean, I, I, I may surprise you in that um, Sasha Banks has been particularly during the this sort of pandemic era was probably the best thing on WWE TV. I couldn't even believe it. I started watching Raw and SmackDown again on a weekly basis during the pandemic because let's face it, like everyone else, I had absolutely fuck all to do. And she had like sort of appearances on NXT as well. And Sasha Banks is absolutely fantastic. I think they can be no denying that. So the prospect of her potentially not being in WWE I mean for the women's division there it's it's bad I, I mean you only really have to look at you know the, the money in the bank pay-per-view that's coming up and you've got Bianca Belair versus you know Carmella who uh, that, that doesn't really sort of scream star power so they, they really need all the star power they can get and Sasha Banks is one of those who if she's not there yet she's certainly on her way to having that sort of mainstream crossover appeal as well with you know sort of Star Wars Mandalorian so it's one of those things that I just think they should stop being incredibly stubborn and just give her what the fuck she wants short of it being you know a private fuck it give her a private jet I don't know <laughs> if that's what she wants give her a private jet you know if there's more money do it WWE needs her at the moment and, and the idea of her leaving while creatively speaking for her that might be great I'm not so sure it would be good for them I, I'm really concerned now about what Tom's going to be able to say because you've taken his main point which is about the Mandalorian so he's not going to he's got nothing now <laughs> yeah I mean having never watched the Mandalorian I can't really because I put but she was a big reason I did her I, I had her in my draft all those, all those months ago I think that if WWE WWE lose Sasha Banks or they decide to get rid of Sasha Banks is a damning indictment on what is already their appalling inability to not create new stars. Sasha Banks is, if you watch, we, we spoke about this when we covered the uh, NXT Brooklyn show when she had that absolutely phenomenal match with Bailey, and you look you looked at her in that match and you think to yourself she could be the biggest star in the entire company, not, not in the women's division but in the entire company. She's got the look, she's got the charisma, she's got the talent, she's got a connection with the fans, she's got everything you need to become a professional wrestler at the highest level and the fact that they've never ever stuck the rocket to her back in the way they have with Charlotte with Becky Lynch in particular the two, the two standouts it, it goes to show that they don't they don't for some reason see something that almost everyone else does but in terms of the women's division I still think they'll be alright without Sasha Banks because of poor way in which they've handled her because you've still got Charlotte Ronda Rousey intermittently although her last run by all accounts has not been particularly good um, you've still got Bailey, Bianca Belair and you also got other mainstays in the division like Alexa Bliss. They're doing a lot to promote Liv Morgan at the moment, Rhea Ripley. So they've still got like a lot of good female wrestlers there. But I, one thing I would I would wonder is if she say if she did leave and go to AEW, I think it would be good for the women's division because I don't think their women's division is particularly good. I think it's only really Britt Baker and Jade Cargo who I think are potential stars in the women's division. The Thunder Rosa was much better at chasing the title rather than rather than being the title holder. But the problem is, I think if Sasha Banks was to join, she'd so massively over shadow everything else in the entire division they don't have an equal for her even Britt Baker who's probably the best in the women's division in AEW is miles off of the standard that Sasha Banks is at so it does make me think that if, if they were to get her and they'd need to get someone else in to be a big deal or they'd have to get significantly better at creating female stars in AEW as well so ultimately I've given a bit of a nothing answer then I said I don't know about any of 
this. But ultimately, we can say that this is a damning indictment on WWE's ability to recognise when they've got a potential star and make push them to the next level. Yeah, no, definitely. She is. She was a ready-made star. She didn't even have to. The minute she came to the main roster, they should have been making a massive deal of her. And I don't. I, I agree with you, Tom. I don't think it's a problem for the women's division. I think it's a problem for WWE in general. I've said many times, and I think too often people get tied down with, oh, she's the best woman around. She's the best wrestler around. She's the biggest star they had, or biggest potential star they had, bigger than Roman Reigns. She's she could have been the biggest star in the business, bar none. Forget women. Forget men. Forget anything. She was phenomenal. They have through a combination of not bad stories but just literally not highlight, highlighting her enough basically whittled away a lot of that aura and and yet she's still a major star she's still becoming more mainstream she's still getting offers to do other things she's still like one of the most popular wrestlers in the in the company you know as i say ready made she was ready made to be a star and alongside a lot of her contemporaries so charlotte was a ready made star and they have a, they have in some ways kind of actually lived up to that becky lynch turned herself into a star and became the biggest star in the company for a short while again WWE have kind of frittered that away when as soon as she returned she was kind of demoted by the way that she returned and um, they've turned Bianca Belair into a major star S- Sasha could still sit above them all and still be the main the main person in that division in terms of AEW it's become a bit of a cliche now for people who are leaving WWE or whatever to go to AEW and Tony Khan to want to sign them and for fans to say oh Tony Khan and AEW should sign this person that person whatever if when tony khan started AEW, he had a list of dream people that he could bring into the, the company sasha banks should have been absolutely number one top of that list because she is genuinely the person who could be the biggest star in the in the business and could have genuinely moved the needle she could genuinely have done that for AEW in a way that even cm punk in my opinion couldn't do so i think if she does become available AEW should still go get her i take your point tom about there not being anyone on on a level with her i think it's just a shame that if she, they do they do manage to sign Sasha Banks. I think it's just a shame that Britt Baker is no longer the women's champion because actually I think Britt Baker's champion, an undefeated, nobody can stop her champion, then being suddenly confronted by Sasha Banks would be a genuine moment and would elevate Britt Baker, even though she's already a major star at the same time. So that would have been really cool. But ultimately, I think whatever she does, she'll be a success because she is, as you said, Tom, she's got the presence, she's got the star caliber. She's just, there's something about her. She's got, the, she's got everything. She's got the package. And I'm sure whatever she turns her hand to, she'll be, she'll be cracking at. So, so it's definitely WWE's loss if they lose if they do indeed lose her. And I think it will be a great, great shame to wrestling if wrestling loses her. Saying all that, the fact that if she does leave, there's a likely chance that she'll in five years' time be offered ten million dollars to come back and face the latest women's wrestling star won't be a bad thing either. So uh maybe that's maybe that's something to look forward to. You raised something really interesting then about the ex WWE people. The people when people leave WWE they end up in AW. So I was looking at this article at uh, inside the ropes and it's basically got a list of people who are ex WWE wrestlers who are now wrestling in, in AW. And I'm gonna quickly go through them now and let you know if I think they've added add any real value to it. Okay. The first one's Dustin Rhodes, obviously one of the first ones there. Don't he doesn't need to be there anymore. He's 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 at his match with uh, Cody and that's what he's gonna do. Jericho, I think Jericho still adds value. Pack, quite like Pack, but I wouldn't say he's a it wouldn't say he wouldn't be a dream match person, would he? Moxley, despite my opinions on Dean Ambrose, I actually quite like John Moxley, so I think he adds value. Matt Hardy, nah. FTR, definitely, definitely there. Christopher Daniels, I, I, some of these are very, very like they may be dropped a pube on the rest of it, on the WWE mat once, you know what I mean? And they qualify. <laughs> Christopher Daniels, nah, don't need him anymore. Kazarian, no. Colt Cabana, no. Lance Archer, no. I don't know who he is. Trent, 
whoever that is. Uh, Luchasaurus, yeah, he's amazing. Ty Conti, yep. Jake Hager, fuck off. Matt Seidel, he can fuck off as well. Nick Komaruto, anyone? There he is. Nah. I think he may have been an NXT person. Sean Spears, nah. I, I, I find him amusing, but you see Ty Dillinger on the NXT roster and think, oh, I'm going to bring him into my company. Do you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't, would you? Uh, Lever Bates, I don't know who that is. Oh, Blue Pants. She was Blue Pants. Nah, she can go. Rusev, again, I quite like some of the stuff he does at Miro, as Miro, but you wouldn't, again, I wouldn't be like, he, he needs to be on the roster. Serena Deeb, don't know who that is. Billy Gunn. <laughs> yeah, all right. Damn right. Sting, nah. 2.0. They're quite good, actually, to be fair. I quite like 2.0. Um, Vicky Guerrero, doesn't really need to be there. Andrade, I like him, but he hadn't really done much. I didn't, and I didn't, done, he, and done anything. I don't see what he brings. Same with the next guy, Malachi Black. I like him. I love his presentation, but I don't know. They haven't really ever really done anything with him them the big show lol christian nah cm punk yes ruby soho yeah but because they because they don't have much going on in their women's division but again they haven't really done much with her as far as i've seen adam cole <laughs> he could, he could tell, if he had a slightly sharper chin he could be a bins wrestler I probably would because of the buzz but again he hadn't really done anything in my, in my opinion since he's been there uh, Brian Danielson definitely Leo Rush nah, who Bobby the Fish yeah I love him and Kyle O'Reilly Mercedes Martinez again I think they're just picking every every ex WWE women's wrestler just to bulk up their division a bit but again I don't know she's not really done much Jake Atlas I don't know who that is Keith Lee he's just now in a t- tag team with Swerve isn't he you know who again is another ex WWE cast who doesn't really seem to be doing much Buddy Matthews was anybody clamouring to see <laughs> Buddy Matthews do you know what I mean like, and the list goes on and on um, put the polar bear me strike you <laughs> oh really okay I mean, so wait a minute let, let, let's, let's go back to that the, the, does this mean Matt that you were very excited about Buddy uh, whatever his name is now uh, coming into AEW do you know what I can't say that I was excited when he came in however seeing the work that he's done so far I've actually been really impressed so he's a guy who, at least at the moment, for me, he's worth watching. He's he, one of the one of the things on the show I'll go out of my way to watch. Um, anyway, interesting stuff about Sasha Banks. You know, hopefully, as I said, well, she she goes on to do something great, and I'm sure at some point WWE call her back for like ten million dollars to face. I don't know. I don't even know who they've got on the NXT roster anymore. Who's a woman? But I'm sure they they will do that at some point. Today we are covering Great American Bash 1991, and I'm quite excited about this. As I said, I'm quite excited to talk about it. But let's start with our expert. Expectations. I'm going to start with you, Tom. What was your expectations for this one? Well, I expected to start watching The Great American Bash 1985. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it even exists. I couldn't find it. It does exist. It does exist. It? It's just not on the network. For some reason. I wonder why that is. I didn't have a clue what I was getting myself in for, if I'm being honest with this. I had no idea who was on the WCW's roster in, in 1991. I had no idea who was booking. You know, sometimes if you get an idea, you kind of have a, I've got a bit of knowledge about who's booking. You can kind of get an idea of what the sort of show is going to be like I didn't know about it I had no expectations at all the only things that I did expect was that I'll probably get to see Sting and Luger and if I'm lucky maybe a Steiner's match and that was that was what I was going into this with. How about you, Matt? To be honest, we're around about the same. Um, I, as soon as I saw this is what we were doing, I was thinking, well, there's probably going to be some Sting on you, maybe some Lex Luger, maybe some Dusty Rhodes, maybe some Ric Flair. But pretty much that's what I expected to see. And I was also a little bit disappointed going in as well because I was really looking forward to the 1985 bash. I, was, I was, <laughs> don't know why, but I was just really looking forward to watching some good old classic 80s NWA wrestling. And, uh, and what, what, I, what, what style of wrestling would that have been, Tom? Oh, well, let me think. This would have been... So it would have been Southern wrestling. 
was waiting for that. So um, I was exactly the same as all of you, but I did have a hint, a touch of apprehension because I was thinking, right, I know that somewhere in WCW's history, there's a god awful period, a, a really fucking dreadful period of, pro- of WCW. And we have seen some stuff from 1990. We've seen some stuff from 92, some night stuff from 93, from 94 and various other stuff. And I was like, we haven't watched anything from 91. And the stuff from 92 we saw was actually pretty good. It's, it's a little bit more dry. It's a little bit more wrestling based, but it's pretty decent. The stuff from 90 was all right um, that we'd seen. And I was like, well, I know most of 90, like 93 and 94, that 93, the one we watched, the bloody um, Legends reunion was was, was oh, dull. Goodness. It was dull in a lot of places, but it, where it wasn't dull, it was pretty decent. And 94 I found pretty good. And then it's obviously the Bischoff years. And so no most of that and i was like this is probably it because there can't be anywhere else that the bad stuff comes so i was very much anticipating that this might be us meeting wcw at his absolute worst we'll see if that turns out to be the case and just as if to start us off on that route we're going to start with a tyron Baxton of the week we haven't had one for a few uh few weeks so here it goes Two weeks before the Great American Bash 1991, then WCW Executive Vice President Jim Hurd fired Ric Flair over contract dispute, stripping him of the WCW world title in the process. Apparently, that dispute included Hurd wanting Flair to take a substantial pay cut. Flair had resigned as head booker in February of 1990, and Hurd wanted to reduce Flair's role in the promotion even further, despite the fact that Flair was still a top draw. According to Flair, Hurd also proposed changes in his appearance and ring name, i.e. by shaving his hair wearing a diamond earring and going by the name Spartacus needless to say Flair disagreed with the proposals at the time champions left a $25,000 security deposit that would be refunded to them along with any accumulated interest on the deposit once they lost the title as Hurd did not give Flair back his deposit he retained possession of the belt and later brought it to the World Wrestling Federation where he appeared with it on television Tyron Baxton of the so talking points for this show, I thought we'd put that out there first, because that's the context for which this show takes place. And it's going to impact a lot of what we talk about. I'm sure it's going to be quite important to the whole of the rest of the card and maybe also gives an indication of where WCW was at this point under Jim Hurd. So talking points, why don't we start with you, Tom? So I would like to talk about the WCW top 10 Ooh. that they have. So after the third match, we go to JR and uh, Tony Schiavone, who are the commentary team, and they talk about the top 10. And here is the top 10. So it's Johnny B. Bad at number 10, 9 Ron Simmons at 8, 8 The Diamond Stud at 7 El Gigante, 6 Arn Anderson, 5 Bobby Eaton, 4 Stunning Steve Austin, 3 Sting, 2 Barry Windham, and 1 Lex Luger. I've, I did a bit of a comparison check, so I looked at it and I was like, fucking, that's a pretty grim list. I mean, the fact that El Gigante is in the top in the top 10 of anything, other than the top 10 shittest wrestlers of all time, is a bit of a shocker. Then I thought, I was like, Johnny B. Bad, number 10 in, the, in your top 10. Don't get me wrong, I don't mind a bit of Johnny B. Bad, but still. Ron Simmons, a pre-Razor Ramon Razor Ramon, when he's the diamond and the nondescript diamond stud. Arn Anderson. Again, if he was in a wrestlers that looked like dad's top ten, you'd have that. But a top ten in nineteen ninety one? Like I don't know. Then you've got the Bobby Eaton, 
which is fair play because Bobby Eaton's great. But again, he's not a huge star, is he? Um, Steve Austin, stunning Steve Austin, was not a huge star. Sting, fair enough to have in your top 10. Barry Windham, mm, nee, no, not for me. And then Lex Luger as, as number one. Again, Lex Luger at this time, very worthy of probably being in a top 10. But number one goes to show a damning indictment. Now, just for comparison's sake, I went by a rather handy website that I can't remember the name and got the, the WWF roster at the time. And this is what I estimated as being their top 10. Not in order. Um, I've got in there Andre the Giant, Dusty Rhodes, Hulk Hogan, Jake Roberts, Randy Savage, Roddy Piper, Sid, Ted DiBiase, The Ultimate Warrior, and The Undertaker. I would not have Andre the Giant in the top 10 in 1901. He was barely wrestling. No, but I'd still have him as a start, though. This is their kayfabe ranking, though, in fairness. This isn't their top 10 stars. This is their kayfabe ranking. I know, but is there anybody else on this pay-per-view, if you're talking about overall star power, that you would have above that top 10 that they've got in there? Not many. Maybe Nikita Koloff, um, and maybe the Steiners, in fairness. Yeah, maybe. But that is an absolutely repulsive list of wrestlers for your top 10. And and I did, and bear in mind, in the, in, on the WWF list, I haven't included, because I only, I only really included people I thought of at the time or leading up to 1991 would have been in the main event. So hence why there is no Bret Hart, there's no Shawn Michaels, um, there's no Mr. Perfect, there's no Davey Boy Smith. There's numerous other wrestlers that that have gone on to main event shows that, that aren't in that list. And I also didn't include Ric Flair because he wasn't in WWF at the time that, you know, that this pay-per-view would have happened. I just thought it was an interesting comparison piece because it's not a surprise that they were nothing at the time really compared to WF. if you just look at the names alone you can just tell they are 100% second yeah and I think actually it's interesting I think if you did the same comparison for say 1998 when WWF made their comeback in the war you'd probably say the same in terms of WCW being so far ahead of WWE mm-hmm. in terms of star power the key here though is whether or not the quality is any good because if, if they're in that position with a lack of star power then they need things to be pretty good that's why WF came back so strong in 1998 because the quality was so high but you're right though it is it is it's interesting though. i thought the concept's interesting i quite like i would like the idea of rankings i mm. like that I, that's one of the things i actually do like about AEW. as i say i just think AEW don't do very well with it like for example when cm punk got injured and suddenly the title was vacant they didn't go to the rankings and say right who are the top two rankings they will fight for the interim championship which is obviously what you should do they just went to some random battle royal thing and then fucking john moxie faced hiroshi tanahashi who's not even an AEW wrestler never had an AEW every match before stupid that is that is a daft decision isn't it well when you've got rankings it definitely is a daft yeah. decision the good thing about the, the rankings you've got a built-in security blanket a built-in storyline at any any way shape or form i mean you could just be like that there we go easy and then we can work it out after tonight yeah but yeah the, 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 they should have gone to the rankings on that that was stupid if they didn't well to, to be fair AEW don't have enough titles do they so they need to have an interim <laughs> world title as well. What did you think of this though, Matt? The top ten here. Um, I, I'm I'm on the same sort of boat as you, man. I I really enjoyed the idea of having the top ten because anything that makes it feel more sort of sports centric and more sports like is a plus in my book. Um, so the more they do stuff like this, the better. I mean, yeah, okay, obviously the the sort of quality of people on the list, as we said, wasn't perhaps the best, but you know, at least they were trying to to do something with it. So if this was something that WWE tried to do today, I'd be all for it I, I think they should do more stuff like this so matt what's your talking point my talking point this week would be one of the commentators that we had for the show one mr jim ross 
Now, for me, this was a very interesting period of Jim Ross because I'm mostly familiar with him during his sort of WWE days. So um, seeing a lot of his WCW stuff is still in many ways very new to me. The one thing that I will say, he felt like a personal tour guide for this show, if I'm honest. He made a lot of the stuff a hell of a lot easier to understand. I felt he seemed enthusiastic. Okay, some of the time he may have come across a touch cheesy, but, you know, the the occasional sort of, you know, cheeky smile at the camera, you know, I, I was like, wow, okay, don't overdo it, Jim, but he just seemed enthusiastic about the show. And compared to, I, I do, it does make me sad in a way that I do think that he's not as good as he once was. And I have seen him sort of have arguments with people on Twitter saying, oh, you know, I still am. And I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't think he's quite as good as he used to be. But in this scenario, in this pay-per-view, he was, for me, he, he made this show... Uh, quite easy to understand. We knew instantly what you were talking about when you were talking about Cheesy because Tom posted a picture of Jim Ross's smile onto our uh, WhatsApp chat the minute he started watching this show. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, look at that. It's just brilliant. It's, it's the fact that he holds it for so long. That's the that's the weird thing. It's hold he does it and then there's usually about like about four seconds before you go off to whatever he's just introduced and he's just standing there looking dead behind the eyes. I love it. I, I found it all very interesting this because I actually found Tony Chavoni just as interesting. He's got a blonde mullet. I don't know oh. what that's about. I never he's never had blonde hair before, but here he's got it. And um not only that, but I found <laughs> this difference between the two very interesting. Jim Ross is clearly being produced to smile and to be a genial kind of guy be the presenter be the host that he's supposed to be and he's doing his best to do it i think tony Schiavone probably is as well except tony Schiavone seems unable to he seems too embarrassed to do it so there's a couple of times when the camera lingers on them but jim ross does his smile and tony Schiavone either looks grumpy or is looking away from the camera as if he can't look because he's embarrassed by what he's being asked to do <laughs> i found it really really interesting just watching the, the dynamic between the two of them i i found it odd i, I think here you've got two effectively play-by-play guys and I don't know I don't think they work well together they do quite well on AEW but they have different roles on AEW and Excalibur is very much the the, the play-by-play here I, I didn't really know what to make of them I did I did I struggled with the, the partnership a little I quite liked that, actually I, I found there are times during this pay-per-view where it seems like JR is more of the play-by-play and Shivoli was the analyst there's one bit in particular during there's a match between uh, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, where Tony Schiavone goes quite in-depth describing how the pressure is reversed on a figure four leg lock, which I just really enjoyed. But I, I actually thought this commentary team was quite good. I, I quite enjoyed it. There's not a hell of a load of personality amongst both of them, but overall I, I, I thought they were quite decent. I enjoyed it. Fair enough. I don't know why. It just didn't really, didn't really do anything for me. There was one match where uh, my wife walked into the room. In fact, she was watching a good portion of the show with me, and during the chain match, she was like, why are these two commentators sound so bored of what they're watching now maybe that was just a, a reflection of the match itself but mm. uh but we will we will see my talking point is going to be the main event i i put the main event in probably inverted commas to be honest oh. we- <laughs> so we've got another byron sack fa- we've got another byron facts another here. another baron fuck face of the week <laughs> so here we go byron faxton of the week 
And the final match was originally supposed to pit the Steiner brothers and Missy Hyatt against Arn Anderson, Barry Windham and Paulie Dangerously. However, Windham was moved to the title match following Flair's departure from WCW and Scott Steiner had sustained an injury. So the match was changed into a mixed tag team match pitting Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt against Arn Anderson and Paulie Dangerously. Before the match, Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater forcibly took Hyatt backstage, turning the match into a handicap match, which Rick Steiner wins. We'll talk about that in a second. In reality, this was done because the Maryland State Athletic Commission didn't allow intergender matches. Tyron Faxton of the week. So, WCW booked and promoted and advertised heavily a main event match, which was going to be an intergender match, which they knew from day one they couldn't damn well do because the Maryland State Athletic Commission wouldn't allow it. I mean, what the fuck is that about? You want to know about quality. You want to know about delivering for your audience. This is a classic example of WCW doing something, which is exactly why they're in the shit. It's not the lack of star power, although that is a major problem. It's that this is fucking dreadful. This is top of the list of things you don't do, which is pull the bait and switch. And that's exactly what they've done. They promise something knowing they cannot deliver it on it in any way, regardless of the injury, because, you know, even if... And regardless of Flair's departure, even if this had been the scheduled match it was going to be, it would have still been a bait and switch because they knew they couldn't put Missy, Missy High in the match. It goes for just two minutes. It's a steel cage match. And as as, as I said, Rick Steiner's won the match. Uh, he wins it. Steiner slams and Steiner lines Paul Heyman, or poorly dangerously, and then gets the pin on dangerously. It ends the show on an absolute whimper. Two minutes, a cage match main event where they didn't even do the match that was advertised. I mean, it's pretty atrocious. I think you'll have to agree. Well, there's also a thing that happened before because I didn't really realize. I didn't really look at the time on the on the on the network. I was like, why are they doing two cage matches back to back? Because that that seems daft to me. You'd you'd at least want to split them out. Not necessarily have one at the beginning, but have one kind of midway through maybe if you're going to have two cage matches. And then I realized this because there'd be absolutely no point in bringing down a cage for this two minute match. It's not just that. It's also the fact that you could tell that it, it was actually a logistical nightmare to put the cage up. So they didn't <laughs> want to put it up take it down put it back up and take it down in order to split those two matches up and the reason they couldn't have one at the start and one at the end is because there was another logistical nightmare at the start of the show which is the fucking scaffold that they had to erect before the show so that they could take it down in the middle of it when they were lowering down the uh, cage this was like being lowered down it was like on the piss this yeah, one is like really low and wonky it's amazing the match is i mean it's not a match is it it's an angle it's, it's and it's a crap angle at the end of the match i mean arn anderson gets the piss knocked out of him by a clothesline from from rick steiner he, he does he does a very impressive power slam i will say does old uh does old rick steiner and then he hits a clothesline on him but then that's him out for the rest of the match and uh, well, like for the rest of the match for the rest of the minute then yeah like you said tinky paul Heyman gets beat up and then that's it but then rick just fucking walks off at the end of the match we, we've discussed this about like some of the shows i remember the awa show we discussed there's with this entire pay-per-view there's no celebration at the end of any match at all there's no there's no like oh thank you very much for joining us this has been a great event you know or at least that from from the from the wrestler of the match and then 
he doesn't even look like he's bothered. He doesn't even seemingly care that Missy, his partner, has been kidnapped. Well, that's by, a crazy thing, yeah. Yeah, by, by what I gather, one of them is, isn't Dick Murdoch a horrendous, like a clansman or something like that? Been, been arrested by some truly hideous people, uh, arrested, been kidnapped by two like truly hideous people, and it doesn't even bother him, and they don't even go bother to look for afterwards. It's just it's really crap. It's not, Rick, that's not a babyface move, bro. They're the, the hardliners. This is Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater come out and take Missy Hyatt backstage. And you're right, Rick Steiner does not react. In fact, the minute it happens, he's smiling at Arn Anderson and Paulie Dangerously, presumably because he's trying to act like he's happy that he's got them in the cage. But showing no concern for the fact that Missy Hyatt has been kidnapped by these two horrible men. <laughs> It's funny, right? I've, I've got a bit of a confession to make that um, I, I had a phone call, um, a quite important phone call that I had to take during this match. So I thought, oh, I, I've got to see this, you know, it's just nearly the end of the show. So I didn't want to stop it. So I pretty much just muted it and just kept the match going. So now it's like, you know, you're sort of half paying attention. But, you know, I was watching and then I literally was like, hang on, did this just fucking end after like two minutes? And as soon as I finished the phone call, I had to rewind and I was like, bloody hell. This really was the drizzling shits, wasn't it? This was bloody awful. Like you said, you know, to talk about the show going out on a whimper, 100%. I mean, like JR even sort of said something on the commentary. I can't quite remember what the line was, but it was something on the lines of, you know, I, I thank God we haven't got more time or, you know, I don't think we've got any more time. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> he says, he says, I'm glad we don't have any more matches left. That, that's it, yeah. I'm going to let you know if I agree with him or not at, at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah that, that was quite the line to be fair i mean what what a way to end the show the other thing is i thought let's say for example they just it was a cock-up and they didn't realize that the maryland state athletic commission wouldn't allow them to have this match they realized on the night fuck we've got to do something here here's what you do instead of Arn anderson and paulie dangerously come down first rick steiner and missy hyatt come down first they stand in the ring Arn anderson and paulie dangerously arrive missy hyatt chases after paulie dangerously they run backstage the match just happens then continues they have the match you've now got rick steiner versus Arn anderson straight one-on-one could be pretty decent give them seven eight minutes and then at the end of the match you can have missy hyatt come out to celebrate with rick steiner and then maybe paulie dangerously walks out in front of the crowd shirt torn and suit torn and hair all over the place obviously been beaten up by missy hyatt and everyone can be happy and excited that's how you end it instead they do this weird thing where Missy Hyatt gets carried away by these two horrible blokes. Rick Steiner doesn't give a damn. Then they have a two-minute match and he pins Paulie Dangerously. Nuts. Or they could have had Paulie Dangerously say, come out and say, I've actually done some digging into this and you're not allowed to have a woman in a match. <laughs> that would and work. And then it's, have a two-on-one match and just make it a little bit longer. That would that would work as well, though. You're absolutely right. Put the put the heat on the heel for yeah. showing like the weaseliness that he's trying to get out of it when, in fact, he's just being honest. But the, that, would, that would make perfect sense too. I agree. Absolutely. Just anything where you have this bizarre situation where she gets carried away and everyone has to just forget about it. <laughs> but it's just yeah. to pretend that didn't happen. And why this is the main event as well is is mind blowing considering that before we've got a the match before was a match for the WCW World's Heavyweight Championship. Well, I, I've got some theories on that, and we will uh, we'll explore that. I'm sure <laughs> when we when we get there. Before we go into the break, let's just also cover the opening match, shall we? Because oh, yes. because I think it's relevant. We just talked about the fact that I think the reason the two steel cage matches are at the end are because they've got the scaffold scaffold and they want to take it down and they don't want to have to put it up in the middle of the show. And so they've got they've got various props that are actually a big ball like to them basically. So it's a scaffold match to open. Open the night and it sees PN News and Bobby Eaton against Steve Austin and Terence Taylor with Lady Blossom, who of course is the former Mrs. Austin. Can't remember her real name. And this match goes for 
six minutes and 20 seconds and it's not got the same rules as the uh, usual our usual scaffold matches this is a capture the flag scaffold match mm. so basically you don't win this one by chucking someone off you win it by getting the flag of your opponent I'm not going to go through the end because honestly don't really know when the end was because it is a very very strange situation where no one seems to know what's going on but I've got another Tyrant Baxton of the PN News and Bobby Eaton were scheduled to face Steve Austin and Terence Taylor in a traditional scaffold match. But on the day of the show, a capture the flag stipulation was added as the wrestlers were unwilling to perform a risky fall from the scaffold. Tyron Baxton of the week. So the Eelson now had a match that the talent themselves didn't want to do. And for some reason, it decided it would still be a good idea to book it. I think we're starting to build up a picture of what WC was like at this time. Tom, why didn't you tell us about this? And I know that we were both very excited about the last Gaffer match we saw, and we actually thought it was a real spectacle. Yeah. What did you think of this one? This, this was also a spectacle, but not a good one. This was like, <laughs> so I remember when uh, a couple of years ago, many years ago i was best man for for my friend tj and uh, i remember walking around the corner in in clifton village looking for a soup shop and there was a dog taking a shit and when i say a dog it was an enormous dog and it was that was a spectacle it's not one that i enjoyed and that's what i think of this match we look scaffold matches are shit we've peaked with that one at starcade 86 and what we're gonna do is we're gonna add a flag to it as well just to give it that extra bit of bite it's absolute crap this match like i like the fact that this terence taylor is the computerized man of the 1990s which is a tremendous nickname the match takes ages to start and all and the gangway's really narrow in on the scaffold this one it's worth mentioning that and they got a tag in and tag out which is <laughs> really bizarre it's not like any scaffold match i've seen and so the way they win the match is either someone has to get thrown off or the flag gets captured. And at that point, you're like, well, they're obviously not going to throw anyone off, are they? they clearly, no one's getting thrown off. There's a bit where PNU's shags Terence Taylor, which looks basically <laughs> yes. like just lays on top of him for a bit. But then the end of the match is Bobby Eaton just wanders across, just grabs the flag, and then just walks back, but then decides to take it back across the across the <laughs> scaffold to the other end. But they've won, and. It's all just very weird. And I was just sat there thinking, what a waste of Steve Austin and beautiful Bobby Ian. What a tremendous waste. And I think JR says, it sums it up at the end. He says, it's a very unusual match. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming, Matt, this is your favourite match on the show, seeing as you are the polar bear himself. <laughs> uh, so, you know, w- when it comes to scaffold matches, absolutely not. This was absolutely awful. There were two particular points during the show. I'll say what the other one was later on. But this was one of them, which was one of the worst things of the night for me. And whether or not the show as a whole has contenders for that, you'll find out. But this was god awful. What was it about? I mean, it wasn't a match. It was a competition, basically. It was, hey, let's try and capture your flag. Who gives a shit? What, what What's at stake, you know, other than, ooh, we caught your flag. I, I don't care. There's nothing important about it. It just felt like it was killing time. I mean, obviously, the people there clearly were expecting somebody to, to fall off. That's what they wanted to see, which is 
probably why they dragged the damn thing out to begin with but it was absolutely god awful yeah it was it was really really bad and um i think the thing is is that with the scaffold match take what we saw at the nwa starcade 86 or even perhaps ones that happened before that let's go back to the mid 80s let's say right and you have got your touring company and you go around you've got a 40 date tour you're going around to all the different cities in in america or, or lo- loads of different towns in a specific part of the, the country anyway and you haven't had a televised scaffold match you can promote those shows on the strength of there's going to be a match massive 25 foot scaffold over the ring and four guys are going to be on it and someone's got to throw somebody else off and the first time you do it you probably sell loads of tickets because people are like oh well that sounds like crazy that sounds a bit mad and when we watched that starcade 86 match we i could see that i could see how that could draw people in as i said it was a spectacle i was genuinely concerned for the people up there i was on the edge of my seat because it was so high and you knew someone was coming off once you've done it though and then you've televised it a couple of times you know it's not going to work again it's it is not a good match it's not actually that good it's a great spectacle as a one-off but try it again and again and again it's not going to pay off it's very much like tna lockdown having a cage match and then having another cage match then having another cage match and doing that all night one cage match is quite a spectacle quite interesting perhaps gives you a different dimension to your match all all cage matches all night just reduce the quality of all the matches as opposed to improving them so this is the same thing it just felt like we're done with the scaffold now you you made your money out of it four five six seven years ago time to time to give it up and and as tom said what a waste bobby and steve austin if they had just had a singles match i'd have been absolutely loving it and you want to talk bait and switch as well i mean what the hell are they doing promoting the match if you know potentially is they're going to knock guys off there if they're going to refuse to do it in the first place just i think very briefly just to sort of address the finish which was rather crazy i'm sure part of the rules they granted they said you had to capture the flag but i'm sure they said you can knock your opponent off as well okay which i can't remember if they announced it first as the winners or somebody got knocked off and then they announced it it was very just all of a sudden you winners are it's like Huh? Yeah, it happened out nowhere. The whole thing was a was a completely strange thing because they went straight into it as well. There was no preamble. There was nothing that happened before. It was straight into the match and there was no explanation of the rules. I didn't even know that you had to tag in and tag out and I watched it. it wasn't my comments. I wasn't paying attention. I did watch it. It was just a mess in every way, shape and form. It had the feeling of something that had just been thrown together and it almost it got to the point. It's almost as if at some point in the past, Steve Austin, Terry Taylor, Bobby Eaton and Pierre News all came together a long time ago and told those to manage we're not taking a bump off this scaffold and they just carried on advertising it hoping that they shame one of them into taking the bump and then that day they turn up and go we told you we're not doing it you know fuck right off we're not going to come off that scaffold and so then they went right what can we do we're gonna have to scramble for an alternative and then this was it and it was just it was just piss poor just really really bad so we've uh we've decided that the opener was terrible we've decided that the main event the last match of the night was terrible i wonder what will come in between well luckily for everybody and our listeners you'll be able to find out on the other side of this break
Okay, welcome back. So we did promise you to go through the middle part of the show after having covered the first and the last matches and showing that they were terrible. Let's hope that in the middle was all the quality. So we start off after the scaffold match. We start off with JR talking about Flair being stripped of the WCW title. And a new champion is going to be crowned tonight in a cage between Lex Luger and Barry Windham. Now, the original advertised match was indeed going to be Ric Flair versus Lex Luger for that very title. So I think we probably know who's going to win the match, don't we? (laughs) Given who was originally going to be in it. Slightly telegraphed. (laughs) Then we have Eric Bischoff in the aisle interviewing Arn Anderson and Paulie Day. Dangerously. Dangerously said he has made a call that will mean the end of Missy Hyatt. So that's obviously his call into the whatever they were, the Dicks, Dick Slater and Dick Murdoch. Dangerously says that if anybody but Arn Anderson was his partner, Rick Steiner would end them. But Anderson is with him. And so he's he, they're going to win. Anderson then cuts a promo where he uses a prison analogy and then mourns that Hyatt, that if she tags in, he'll make a woman of her. Mm. So I don't remember that bit, but I did make a note of the fact that Arn Anderson says that Rick Steiner wants to knock him out and then bump Paul Lee. So <laughs> basically, that that's effectively what he says. He says, you want I, to knock me out and then have your way with Paul Lee. I see. So I mean, he does. I said he does make a prison analogy. So maybe that was all part of it. I don't know. Before this happens, actually, we get Tony Cerrone and Jim Ross talking about the main event and all that. And they say there's 10 more matches left to come. And at this point, I went, what? <laughs> Ten more matches? So this is an 11-match card, then, is it? Fuck me. I was like, oh, God, why? I wish I was watching Bashing the Bishop 1985 <laughs> at this point. But do you really? Because, to be fair, the fact that there was 11 matches meant that none of them was going to be too long. Well, maybe. Theoretically. <laughs> In theory, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what it's hoping for, anyway. Okay. So then JR and Tony Travoni discuss the matches set for the card, and as you said, they talk about the fact that it's a 10 match card. Well, 11 match card. There's 10 matches left. Sorry, yes. They also basically are doing this to allow the team, the crew, to take down the scaffold. So it takes about five minutes to do that. And that's why they talk about every single match that's on this show. (laughs) They talk about every single one. Jericho, what has happened? And they're thinking, I tell you what, that match was good enough for this inconvenience. (laughs) well that's it isn't it yeah you know you just thought oh if only you hadn't had that scaffold match you could have moved one of these steel cage matches to the start and then everything would have been fine well maybe (laughs) within reason the next match is the diamond stud and as you tom uh, mentioned earlier on that is a pre-razor ramon scott hall and he's facing the z-man or tom zenk formerly of the can-am connection in the wwf before the match ddp cuts a promo saying that the stud is every woman's dream he then announces a woman who has been selected as the studette. But once she's ripped off Stud's overcostume, DDP dismisses her. And that's the last we see of her. This match goes for nine minutes and it ends when Paige gets involved, but then the Z-Man tries to get rid of him. Stud grabs him from behind and hits a back suplex with a very rotten looking bridge for the pin. Matt, uh, what's your thought on this? We've, we've been universal in our praise for Scott Hall in the past. Is it going to be another... Another day of light shining on the still-to-be Razor Ramon. You know, for Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, uh, not really. But uh, for the Diamond Stud, I've never heard of this gimmick before. This was literally the very first time. Like, when he came out, I was thinking, it's fucking Scott Hall. (laughs) I've never, like, in my entire time of being a fan, never heard of this gimmick. So that that, that was a complete new one for me. 
I, I do love DDP, so I'm glad that they had those two together. But yes, in terms of universal praise for Scott Hall, yes, we, we've talked about it on the podcast before. He's one of those guys that's just very technically sound. Um, You, you put him on the card, no, needy, no matter what sort of position he's in, you know he's going to deliver. And, you know, it, was it the best match you've ever seen? No. But did, did it do what it was meant to do? Yes, it was fine. Like I said, it was very technically sound. I'd almost say it was even good. It was one of the more entertaining things on the show, to be fair. So th- this actually gets a thumbs up from me. This is a weird match. I'd heard of the Diamond Stud, but I'd never seen him before. I knew who he was. He's made of twisted steel and sex appeal. <laughs> That's what uh, DDP says. And the match is kind of weird because basically Tom Zink starts like really hot, like really intense. And I was thinking to myself, hello, we're on for it. We're going to have a good match here. But then it all just kind of slows and gets quite plodding. And, you know, Diamond Stud starts to take advantage in the match, starts getting the upper hand. And at this point is when I realised that he's he's got too little on his upper body, Tinky. <laughs> the diamond stud he's got his pads on. he's got one elbow pad so it's, it's not quite tight as O'Neill levels of too no. much skill on show but it's 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 quite a lot and but there's glimpses of the charisma that scott hall's got in this match he's got the toothpick that he flicks at the camera he does a bit where he, he really fires up and the, the crowd give him quite a positive reaction they almost get when he gets starts getting amped up he just like the crowd almost forget that he's a heel for a second and start and start reacting quite positively to him so you can imagine looking at this match from a promoter's standpoint thinking to yourself this is a bit shit at the moment but there's there's something there there's a little diamond in the rough somewhere with him, quite literally, not literally, quite figuratively with his name being the diamond stud. There's a diamond in this stud, they could have said. And that was a laboured point. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've, I'm going to have to have a little lie down after that. <laughs> <laughs> but there is some good bits. I like the bit where it's a great bit to throw in a commentary where he says um, after the match is finished, they show a replay of the diamond stud hitting the Z-Man with a, with a choke slam. Which uh, Tony Schiavone calls a throat slam, which, oh, I, which I think they should bring back. And you're right, the, the belly to belly with the bridge was it was that bridge was about as laboured as that metaphor I just came up with. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, it was really shit. And there's another bit of weird JR commentary where he says Diamond Stud has the strength and power advantage, which I'm pretty sure are the same thing. So he's channeling his inner Don West a little bit there. But yeah, it it won't it didn't do it didn't do loads for me. It was knowing what else I see, looking back on it, it's actually not a bad match. But at the, <laughs> when, at the time of when I watched it, I wasn't I wasn't massively high on this match, to be perfectly honest. But what I was saying for it, it was an improvement on the scaffold match. So, you know, you got that at least. The main thing I pulled out from this match was the old man would have been happy with Stud's rope assisted abdominal stretch. Mm. So he, there was one of them and um, he would have loved it for that reason. And that re- reason alone, I should imagine. So it was the right. middle rope he's grabbing as well. Not Just the top rope, the middle rope to get that little bit of extra leverage. Extra leverage. Extra leverage. That's what it is. It is literally just one thing I totally forgot to say. And it's only because this has just cropped up in my notice in block capitals. For a guy with a gimmick called the Diamond Stud, the back of his trunks looked cheap as hell. Like, <laughs> my God, is that like the worst stitching I've seen? Oh, come on. And at least if you're going to go with something called the Diamond, at least shell out some money to make it look, you know, like a diamond. I think it, it probably would have looked quite good. 10 years before this but you're right i think that there's a there's a degree of amateurishness about it that uh 
he's quite funny. It looks like someone's written on it with chalk, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like some. <laughs> and the, the, but the one thing I was quite relieved by is that I was genuinely concerned that before the the lady came into the ring and and ripped his dungarees off, that he was going to be wrestling in dungarees, <laughs> which I thought would have been quite uncomfortable unless you're hillbilly Jim. And it was so, funny the fact that she couldn't rip them off all in one as well. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it did take her a couple of rips, didn't it? So, next up, we've got the mythical Oz taking on Ron Simmons. Oz is, of course, uh, accompanied by Merlin the Wizard. Don't know why he's Merlin and why he's with Oz. And I'm pretty certain they call him the Great Wizard on commentary, but Wikipedia's got him as Merlin the Wizard. We all know who Oz is, I presume. And uh, yeah, we've got, I've, got, I've got some nods on, on an audio podcast. That's brilliant. Thanks for that, guys. I was trying to think of something funny. I couldn't. I see. So Oz is obviously Kevin Nash. So both Razor Ramon and Kevin Nash here are uh, in their earlier gimmicks where perhaps they would be best advised to forget them, especially this one. And Oz comes out to quite the ceremony. I mean, they've got a whole castle on the on the wall behind them. It's a, a deep shade of emerald green, and the and Oz comes out to like a big, big rapturous light show and steam and all kinds of stuff. He then faces Ron Simmons and loses in eight minutes. <laughs> So uh, I'm wondering who they were pushing here. Um, yeah, Sid Simmons comes back into it and ends with a shoulder tackle and he pins him despite the attempts of the wizard to interfere. I say that the attempts of the wizard to interfere because the wizard watches Ron Simmons do the old shoulder barge and then kind of goes, oh, I don't fancy it and leaves the ring. It's 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 quite an impressive uh, attempt at interfering, I've got to be said. So, yeah, do you want to pick the bones out of that one? So for a start, the cloth castle for Oz's entrance is absolutely sensational. To say that it looks like a senior school production would be a massive compliment. (laughs) (laughs) And the costumes are incredible because he's wearing a wizard mask as well, which he doesn't wrestle in, which is weird. He's accompanied by the great wizard, who is Kevin Sullivan. Also wearing a mask. Also wearing a mask. They look like the band Wizard. The I wish it could be Christmas every day theme. And I'm thinking about I'm thinking at this moment about JR and about his love for pro wrestling in its purest form. (laughs) (laughs) Out comes two wizards. Absolutely lovely stuff. Ron Simmons has got some great music, some great sax going on. So Tinky, if you want to check that in at some point, that would be lovely. And you know, so I thought when when he got all his all his wizard outfit off, Kevin Nash doesn't look as tall as he usually does did anybody find that like he's not maybe it's because he's not wearing we're so accustomed to seeing him in his kind of baggy diesel trousers and like the vest thing like he's just wearing like some green tights and and boots and he doesn't look as tall or imposing it's really weird now ron simmons obviously isn't small but he didn't look as big as i thought it did the match is so slow and plodding and drab and shit i wasn't expecting a technical masterclass i wasn't expecting to see fucking dax wilder versus daniel bryan but it was it it was at least expecting it to be almost like a bit of a hoss match but it's not that at all there's a fan in the crowd who on his own who's this way this might be my mvp he's just going boring (laughs) boring (laughs) no one else is getting involved but he's like again I, i don't i don't necessarily um like people doing boring chants but when it's just one person on his own and he's still vehemently sticking to it i gotta give that guy credit and that's just about it there's lots of chat about having strong legs um (laughs) (laughs) 
it, a lot of people talk about how you need to have a strong upper body to be a wrestler because of all the slams and whatnot. But it's so important to have strong legs. <laughs> that forever. And, you know, it's always going to be an awful match when there's a lovely long test of strength at one point. <laughs> and there's a bear hug as well, which everyone wants in a match. This match is fucking awful. And if it, if it wasn't for the Eurovision style entrance <laughs> that the, the Oz and the Great Wizard have, I wouldn't even want to talk about it. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Well, see, this is the thing, Tom. See, I, you know, I think you've got to be careful. You can't complain about this stuff. This is exactly what you're looking for, isn't it? Nope. All this fucking dreadful shit is what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, but the, 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 that bit at the beginning is great, but the actual matter is... And the problem is as well, and this is a bit of a thing to come back to, the crowd are fucking dead. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't blame them, can you? I mean, fucking hell. No. But it's, it is also eight minutes. If it had been four, you might have been all right. Yeah, you might Yeah, you might have been able to mercifully sit through that and not want to fucking ram a fucking knitting needle down my dick (laughs) (laughs) i got a couple of questions before matt you uh, tell us about your thoughts on this so first of all i wanted to ask about the test of strength that you brought up because generally this isn't just about this match but generally the test of strength isn't just a test of strength is it isn't it effectively a game of mercy yeah Big time. Yeah. It's like an S. Yeah. Why, why does no one ever talk about that? They just go keep going about his test of strength. But when they're on the mat and their hands are like like that, you know, turned around and their fingers are being squeezed, that's just a game of mercy, guys. And why, and why has, has anybody ever submitted they should to a do. test of strength? I, that'd should. be the first thing. If I, was, if I was Tony Khan, that'd be the first thing I'd do in a match. I'd go in, but like, Adam Cole, sorry, mate, you're jobbing to mirror tonight. And they'd be like, why, that doesn't make any sense. And he's like, he's going to fucking, you're going to have a game of mercy. And then Adam Cole would be like, do you know what? He's bigger than me. That makes sense, actually, Tony. Yes, it's, it's um, not great. Matt, thoughts? <sighs> where, where, do you, where do you start with this? Well, I was going um, to ask you, Matt, you, you know, you, a couple of episodes, well, not a couple of episodes ago, I mean, a couple of episodes in your world ago, you suggested that Ron Simmons was some kind of, uh, you know, master craftsman <laughs> of the wrestling <laughs> thing. Uh, how's that one holding up for you? Yeah, this is when he fell off the, fell off the cliff here. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those, like, the history that I tend to have heard, it always tends to sort of big Ron Simmons up as somebody who was quite, who was quite good. And this was certainly not an example of that. I mean, bad is is definitely a word you know you can use to describe it. I mean, the the costumes. I mean, my God, you could literally go to a children's joke shop and you know find a Harry Potter esque cape and cloak that would look far better than what Kevin Nash was wearing. It was just utter shit. The the match itself, I mean, yeah, I mean, the guy chanting boring had it spot on. It was just so bad. There was nothing to it. I mean, it got to the point for me where it was so bad that it, it just became pointless. Like, there are some things that I would actively call offensively bad. This isn't one of them. I may have an example of something offensively bad later, um, but this was an example of something so stupid. You just like I, I forgot about this match until you guys brought it up. Well, that's fair. I mean, in front of, that was probably a defense mechanism. In fairness, yeah. I mean, what can you say? You're absolutely right. It's terrible. There's a terrible execution on a number of uh, moves. So, for example, there's a bit where I think it's um, Simmons does a drop toe hold on kevin nash and my god it looks fucking dreadful it's just it's just bad it's just really really bad and that's all i'm gonna say about it then we get the ww's top 10 as you've already talked about tom before we get a grudge match between richard morton and robert gibson the former members of the rock and roll express richard morton is accompanied by alexandra york we know who alexandra york is don't we terry runnels 
Terry Runnels. And um, it goes for 17 minutes between these two. The match ends when York distracts the referee and Richard Morton hits Gibson with the computer and then gets the pin. Now, I should mention here the gimmick that Alexandra York was using at the time. So effectively, she was the head of the York Foundation and her group of wrestlers were effectively kind of, she used to put in the statistics and the data from all the other opponents that they had. And then the computer would tell the wrestlers how to wrestle against them. That was the idea. It was a kind of a... <laughs> it's kind of a 90s gimmick for you an attempt to be with the times if you like kind of sounds cool <laughs> <laughs> well that's why terence taylor earlier was the man of the computer whatever it was that okay. you said tom but that was alexander york's kind of gimmick the problem is that the computer she had looked like just like a massive calculator that's what yeah, it did a scientific massive <laughs> calculator matt let's let's ask you what did you think of this one do you know what? i'm gonna start off with something fairly well i think might be surprising and award this my match of the night that is surprising whether or not it's a popular opinion remains to be seen but it's yes. not I, I wouldn't say it's ridiculous i'm just saying it's a little surprising the, this was my match of the night now you'll have you'll have to forgive my possible misunderstanding throughout some of this so what i sort of picked out from the commentary and from what was said and the match itself these guys were feuding at the time yeah is, is that right well they used to be tag team partners as the rock and roll I, express yeah, they're now broken up was, was this their first their first sort of singles match against each other I, i'm sure I'm sure it wasn't because I'm pretty certain they will have broken up prior to this in the yeah. past and then got back together, but in different territories because you okay. got to remember it's kind of a different, different way of working at the time. Okay, because what what I picked up from this is this seemed to be the um the, the you know the, the team split up you know the, this was the you know sort of big feud big match whatever and it, it almost seemed to be a bit of a blood feud at least that that's what I picked up from the start. Now the match was very very technical, very slow and slow paced at times which for what what seemed to me like the story they were trying to tell seemed really really sort of out of place and didn't seem right that being said i was thinking okay this is probably more the type of thing you're going to get at that time anyway and i could kind of see where they were going in terms of you know working over the leg you know they want to destroy his leg and his knee so he can never walk again and yeah okay it was dear god i mean the, the figure four spot probably would still be going on today if somebody hadn't broke it up but it was good enough <laughs> and, like, and for one for one reason as well it's one of those things that the longer it went on the more I enjoyed it which is nearly the opposite for me but I think I appreciated it more as time got on and you know like I said for me this this was the match of the night whether or not that is a, a massive compliment you know <laughs> just uh, just keep listening I thought this match was quite interesting because from what I've seen what, what little I've seen of the Rock and Roll Express this is a Rock and Roll Express match cut in half in the in the fact that basically every Rock and Roll Express match that I've ever seen is basically Robert Gibson getting the shit kicked out of him the entire match and then doing a hot tag to Ricky Morton or vice versa so, but there wasn't the other person to tag out of it so it was kind of weird it was like almost like well we'll just divide this tag team in half and then have a match and it basically it was a bit odd I like really like the intensity at the beginning of it I thought it was great it really they really really came out hot and I liked that when the match starts going uh, Ricky Morton and Richard Morton started working on, on Robert Gibson's knee and even going the little things like ripping his tights open to expose his knee pad and then later on really trying to rip off the knee pad I really liked it and this has got the match where there's a figure four and this is when Tony Schiavone explains actually why it hurts when you have 
a figure four reversal on you. But there was a really stupid moment in the match when Robert Gibson's getting his leg worked over and he's right next to the ropes. He doesn't go for it <laughs> at all. And then he manages to quickly do something to uh, Ricky Morton, who then just grabs the ropes immediately. <laughs> it's a bit like, what? You, you guys are basically a little bit too close to the ropes for this bit, aren't you? You've like have lost where you are in the ring. There's a couple of bits in it that are great. This is a move that I'm going to call the desperation DDT that Robert Gibson hits on Ricky Morton out of nowhere, out of nowhere, and it just halts his momentum and kind of starts building it back up for Robert Gibson. And there's a lovely bit of commentary where Tony Schiavone has evidently forgotten or isn't sure whether or not to call Richard Morton Ricky Morton or Richard Morton. And he goes, and, and then they got out the figure forward leg lock and Richard, Rick, Rick, Ricky, Richard, Rick, Ricky, Richard Morton comes in and does it. And it's really, really good because that's exactly what I would do. And did you lads notice who the uh, ref is in this match? It's, uh, Bill Alfonso, is it? Bill Alfonso, yeah. Which is lovely, lovely to see him. This match, I was expecting more from it, if I'm being honest. I didn't think it was bad. It's definitely one of the better matches on, on the show, but I thought I could have got I could have got more out of it. I think that I would have liked to have had a little bit more fire from Robert Gibson in it, a bit more of an opportunity for him to really have a comeback before the end, which is obviously Morton getting hit by their very questionable-looking laptop. And I would have liked there to have been more peril on the heel side of things so that the, the, the laptop was almost a desperation move to win rather than just something that happened at the end. But it was okay. It was okay. Yeah, it was okay. It was a bit too long. And I haven't figured out the Rock and Roll Express yet as to whether I really think they're any good. Like, I think that they were great in terms of, if you think about it from an old school perspective, as you said, Tom, the matches tended to be usually Ricky Morton getting beaten the crap out of and him getting loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of sympathy on him. And then them doing the hot tag and the fans erupting and it working really well. But whether that translates to a modern perspective of what we consider good match quality... I'm not sure that they've got it. Now, they I think they proved that they have got something when in that Heavenly Bodies match that we watched from Survivor mm. Series 93. But this was much more what I kind of come to expect from them, which is a quite fast start, then a really slow middle, and then a little bit towards the end. And so it just wasn't quite what I was looking for. It was overly long. I agree with you, Matt, as well. It didn't really suit the story they were telling like this is as you said it was supposed to be a bit of a they certainly bigged up the fact that these used to be the the uh, rock and roll express so why there wasn't more fire in there i don't really know i guess you could argue that the idea of alexandra york and what she was doing for richard moran which was to tell him how to win via this computer makes some sense in terms of the fact that he then goes after robert gibson's leg and kind of is quite methodical about it but overall, it just it just didn't do a lot for me. But it did also, I kind of looked at it and went, first of all, I'm a bit surprised that they went with Rich, Richard Morton as the heel. I would have thought if you're going to turn anyone, turn Robert Gibson. He's the bigger of the two. You get like slightly less sympathy on him. He's like slightly less baby face looking in general. Um, Ricky Morton just seems to fit the baby face mold a little mm. better than Robert Gibson. And then the other thing I took away from it is that, my goodness, they were really trying with these fucking gimmicks, weren't they? So you've just got Oz. You just had a fucking Oz, basically a wizard. Although why he's called Oz, given that that's the name of the place, I, I don't know. But anyway, you know, it'd be different if he was called the wizard from Oz. That might have made some sense. But no, he's just I, called Oz. I think that may have been a bit on the nose, Tinky. <laughs> really? Do you think? And then you've got this one where you've got these wrestlers who are basically being told what to do by computer. Again, you could argue it was actually quite uh, quite a um, what, what you might call a visionary kind of way, thing to do because I guess you're predating Moneyball in baseball, for example, by about ten years here. So. You know, it's not that much different from the idea that you'd kind of be able to plug in all these analytics and come out with a with a way to win. 
it just the execution wasn't the best and as i said the equipment um old uh, alexandra york was using wasn't perhaps the most advanced i also don't remember that really being explained during this no it's not explained but again tom i think i've made this point before you wouldn't necessarily explain that every single time this is a character in the company who would be appearing weekly so it's not like you'd necessarily have to do that and i guess as well if you're paying for the pay-per-view presumably you're watching the weekly tv show exactly exactly so next up we get eric bischoff interviewing dustin rhodes and the young pistols backstage they are excited about their match dustin cuts a promo as if he is his father which is really weird. Oh, it's horrible it's so <laughs> and it's so bad it's not even well. good yeah it's not even a really good one almost everyone does a better impression of dusty Rhodes than dustin Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird you know because in the past you've said to you've said on the on the podcast when we've seen dustin Rhodes in action that you don't like it when he tries to be his dad mm-hmm. and i've I, i've kind of questioned whether or not that's what he's trying to do here though it couldn't be more blatant he clearly is trying to be his dad it's just a bit like what are you doing you don't speak like this the one of the guns i don't know which one it is i think it might be steve looks like woody harrelson Hmm. absolute spit of him i thought that as well (laughs) big time maybe it is woody harrelson took a break from cheers at the time to to grow his hair and become a wrestler for a little bit do you know what he's a bit mad isn't he woody harrelson so that's the sort of thing he would do yeah the next match features dustin rhodes and the young pistols the young pistols being tracy's mothers and steve armstrong although they are referred to as tracy and steve in this steve is not exactly a wrestler's name is it here's steve coming to the ring it's it's a bit different than rusev or, or or cesaro or all those ones no steve yeah he's, he's saying that he's going to come around and fix your boiler yeah he is one of the armstrong brothers though obviously brother to scott who tom absolutely loves and to road dog jesse james of course it's the and, brad. and brad armstrong who does appear in this match because he is under the mask of bad street he is yeah. uh with jimmy garvin and michael hayes as the fabulous freebirds they are also with big daddy dink who is portrayed by uh, Oliver Humperdinck used to manage Bam Bam Bigelow in WWF in the late 80s. It is an elimination match, a Survivor Series match, effectively, and it goes for 17 minutes. I'm just going to run through the eliminations because they all come in the last sort of four minutes of the match. So the first wrestler to be eliminated is Steve Armstrong, and he is eliminated by Michael Hayes when he and Bad Street do a double TDT on him. Then Michael Hayes is eliminated because he's disqualified for backdropping Tracy's mothers over the top rope. That illustrious over-the-top rope rule coming back to haunt everyone and being randomly applied at different times in WCW's history. Uh, then Tracy Smothers is eliminated when he's also double DDT'd by Jimmy Garvin and Bad Street. Jimmy Garvin is then eliminated when uh, Dustin Rhodes hits him with a lariat. And finally, Dustin Rhodes hits Bad Street with a bulldog whilst also drop kicking uh, the manager, old Big Daddy Dink, at the same time and wins the match for his team. Tom, your thoughts on this one? I didn't mind this match, actually. I quite enjoyed it. Michael Hayes is the best, isn't he? What guy? I love Michael Hayes. He's so good. And the Young Pistols are the Southern Boys, aren't they? Or have you said that already? I haven't said that, no. I, I yeah. And you might be right. Yeah, I didn't I they really are. consider it. Hmm. Yeah, they are the Southern Boys. Hayes and Dustin, Dustin Rhodes have a little dance-off before a very stiff opening exchange, which was quite fun. And there's a few moments in the match where the timing's off and one or both of the Southern Boys are just squatting on the top rope. <laughs> waiting for someone to get into position, which is a bit weird. There's a couple of things in it I really liked. I really liked Jimmy Garvin, who kept obnoxiously apologising to the camera after hitting his offence. He'd go, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Jay, I'd be like, I done mean it, man. I quite liked the, the, the over-the-top rope rule is stupid. We all know this. But I liked the fact that Michael Hayes eliminates 
or throws someone over the top rope and gets kicked out of the match. And he's like arguing it. And he's right. Cause he's like, mm-hmm. I just ducked. And then what the commentary do quite well is they kind of say it's down to the referee's interpretation. They keep calling it like pass interference in the NFL where you're allowed to, I don't know what that means, but I think it basically <laughs> means it's down, down to the referee's interpretation of it to see if it counts, which I, which I thought was quite a nice touch. And when, I, I just say the over-the-top rule isn't by nature stupid. It's just the way they apply it. Is yeah, stupid. yeah, 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 definitely, because they use it when it works and when it doesn't, don't they? And the crowd don't seem very happy about it when Michael Hayes is eliminated, and I wasn't very happy about it either because he's the GOAT. <laughs> What's really strange is that they, yeah, you said a Garvin and Bastries then hit Tracy's mothers with a double DDT and he was eliminated. But then Rhodes then clotheslines Garvin to fuck. Then he fucking probably hits him with a kind of a lariat. And then Randy Anderson does my favourite thing that he does, which is does an incredible leap, a dive over the wrestlers to count the pinfall. It's so theatric and so over the top. It's absolutely tremendous. And like you said, Tinky, all the eliminations happen quite quickly. And I quite like that. We've often discussed about two out of three fours matches where the first two fours happen really quickly and then the last four is the longest. Whereas realistically, it should probably be the other way around because you're more tired. Yeah. Same really applies to one of these matches. The more tired you get, the more likely you are to make it say, more susceptible you are to a pinfall. So I quite like the fact that that happens, that happened in this match. And the finish, I really like the running bulldog slash dropkick that uh, Dustin Runnels hits, Dustin Rhodes hits, sorry. And I just quite like it, and not, but not as much as the bloke on the hard camera view with the vest and the jorts who is over the moon with the Dustin Rhodes victory. So, yeah, I quite like this match. This is probably my match of the night, I reckon. Fair. Matt? The finish of this match I thought was absolutely excellent, and the crowd really seemed to appreciate it. However... Um, this is where perhaps the polar bear comes out. The, this match didn't do it for me. And I was surprised because I thought when they all came out, they thought, okay, if there's going to be one I'm going to like, it'll probably be this one. It just took so long to get to the to get to get the finishes. It, for me, it just it dragged and it just became kind of boring, um, which, which I was a bit disappointed about. Um, as soon as the, the like I said, the, you know, the finishes and the eliminations kicked in, it started to get really interesting, but it just took so long to get there. I gotta be honest, I was actively falling asleep during this, so it, it really, it really didn't work for me. I give, I give every match a little rating out of ten, just a sort of rough rating out of ten every single time, just to kind of remind myself of exactly where I thought this was. I basically given this a six and a half out of ten as compared to the previous match, six out of ten. So I think they're basically on a par, but I would say this for me was just a notch higher. It's not my match of the night, though. I thought this was pretty decent. I think maybe, Matt, though, it does suffer from its position because it follows a 17-minute match and it is another 17-minute match and there's nothing else on the show that goes as long as these two matches. It's a strange situation where you've put the two longest matches right next to each other and they're quite low down the card. It's not like they're involving the big the big size or anything. And I just think it suffers a little bit from that. But I did think this was really quite decent. And I did, I did really like the end. I like the bit, Tom, you mentioned where they're just, they seem to be hanging around on the top rope and then jumping off after about four years of standing at the top. There's one bit where Tracy's mother's just stood there and it looks like he's going to come down on Bad Street whilst Bad Street's woozy in the middle of the ring, but it never comes. And Tracy, mm. Tracy's mother just stays there and then obviously waiting for someone else to get in the ring because that's who he's supposed to hit. It was sometimes a little bit silly, but in fairness, again, the commentators made up for it and said that, you know, they, they kind of covered for him and said, oh, you know, that was really impressive by Tracy's mothers. He could have had the opportunity to take out Bad Street, but he, he had some he had something else in mind and waited for the exact right moment. So, again, that was that was pretty impressive. I, yeah, I thought this was pretty decent. And um, one of the one of the sort of better moments of the show, 
I think these two matches in general are okay. I think they're pretty decent. And we've seen some shows which haven't approached anything as good as this. So, you know, let's give them their due. This isn't this isn't too bad at all. Next up, we get Johnny B. Bad against Yellow the Yellow Dog. The yellow fucking dog. I mean, what the fuck is going on? I'd heard of the yellow dog before, never realizing that apparently it is Brian Pillman under the mask. Now, obviously, for whatever reason, Brian Pillman has either been suspended or has had a, a match where he's lost and had to go away for 60 days or whatever. And in the meantime, the yellow dog has arrived and they're kind of in open pretending that it's not Brian Pillman, but sort of speculating that it could be. The match goes for just six minutes and it ends when uh, yellow dog hits a flying cross body. But as he goes for the pin, Theodore Lung jumps in, causing Johnny Bad to be disqualified. Matt, what did you think? This one, do you know what? I I can't really get past the yellow dog thing. <laughs> I like I'd never heard of it before. I mean, they obviously did seem to make it quite clear on commentary that, that it was Brian Billman. So I, I I kind of lightened up a little bit there, thinking okay. Maybe the match should be half decent, but it wasn't really long enough to become anything. And the fact that he was just working in, under this gimmick of the yellow dog, I just couldn't take it seriously. The the finish as well was bloody awful. I gotta be honest, that this was pretty piss poor. Yeah, this this is not good at all. I was expecting better things from a Brian Pillman Johnny be bad match. If I'm being honest, before the match starts, the picture goes. And we just don't get any pick any visuals for a while, um, which was which is a bit weird. It's a bit clunky in parts. There's moments where Johnny is clearly waiting to be hit, like like just doing the old Conan trick where he's just stood there waiting to be hit. And then towards the end of the match, you just know how it's going to end because it seems like the Yellow Dog is a reasonably new gimmick, and Johnny B. Bad at this point hasn't been pinned yet. So you're not going to have the Yellow Dog lose. Yeah, because he's new, but you're not going to lose trying to be bad, not not non winning, not non being pin streak to the yellow dog over. So you know there's going to be going to be some kind of fuckery at the ending. I just, I be honest, I didn't really care much for this at all. It, it wasn't long enough to be really bad, but it was still just felt like a bit of a waste of time. The only bit I liked at the end is that how Johnny be bad was still really happy at the end of the match because he still hadn't been pinned, which I quite liked. He's just there and actually going, yeah, yeah, I'm great. But other than that, I, there's not much to this one for me. Yeah, the, the, for me, there's three big highlights of this match and they all come prior to the match starting. So the first one is uh, number three, if you like. Vladimir is shown in the crowd. Perennial WWE fan and uh, you see him on all kinds of WWE shows. He's, he's in the crowd going mad for it. The camera <laughs> seeks him out and like finds him, spotlights him. Secondly, Johnny B. Bad's amazingly massive and incredible robe, which goes <laughs> out about 10 feet either side of him. It's, it's absolutely humongous magnificent thing but the, the the best is the fact that yellow dog is accompanied by a yellow dog a lovely little lo- a lovely little dog beautiful thing um and he didn't seem funny enough again i was watching this with my wife and my wife would have been i was a bit worried because she's particularly sensitive to this kind of stuff she'd have been like oh fuck off well how, how dare they bring a dog out in front of this crowd it must be mm-hmm. absolutely scared shitless fairness the dog looked pretty pretty happy and she suggested that he did it as well so um it wasn't too it wasn't too bad from that perspective as well so those were my three highlights the match itself was terrible really really clunky they f- fucked everything up like it was really bad they just kept messing up uh, and I respect a lot more from both of these. I guess this was relatively early in, in both their their careers, and they would definitely go on to have better times. Maybe Pillman's not used to working in a mask either. Maybe. No, I can imagine Maybe. it would be a bit disorientating. Mm. This is a very kind of, again, one of those kind of cliched gimmicks as well. 
your mid-south used to do it quite regularly and others have done it as well where basically you get a wrestler who was suspended or or had been sent away for 60 days or whatever and then they'd come back under a mask and pretend that they weren't that person but everyone knew they were that person and the commentators would speculate that they were that person and the heels would say this is that person you know it's not fair and they would constantly get one over on them and, and escape from being found out and then they would disappear at the end of the period that that wrestler was supposed to be and that wrestler would return and nothing would be said about them again it was kind of a, a well-worn wrestling trope of the time thinking mr america yeah exactly or ezekiel and elias at the moment oh, in WWE. see i i don't watch WWE at the moment but if i did i guarantee you that'd be my favorite thing oh god it's shit <laughs> well i don't know i can't comment so i'm not gonna um i'm not gonna contradict matt at all so then we get the next match which is big joss versus uh black blood in a lumberjack match so without looking we know who Big Josh is, do we? Yes, it's um, uh, Doink. Doink the Clown, old Matt Bourne. Uh, Didn't Matt, know that. Yeah, Matt Bourne from WrestleMania 1, Matt, you may remember. We watched him against, I uh, can't remember who he faces, Ricky Steamboat, I think. Oh, yeah, it's my um, favourite show. Yeah, yeah, and then, uh, definitely. And then Black Blood, we know who Black Blood is, don't we? I reckon, no, I did look and I did recognise him there. It was Billy Jack Haynes, who was a star in WWE in the late 80s, was at WrestleMania 3 and against Hercules in, a, in the uh, old Full Nelson match. That's right. It's a lumberjack match, isn't it? Yes. And the lumberjacks look so bored that there's two moments on the outside where they get into a big scrap. And it genuinely wouldn't surprise me if old junkyard dog said a little look over to Ricky Morton was like, you're actually doing something because the crowd do not give a shit about this match to try and make it a bit more interesting. And I'm convinced that that's what happens. This match is fucking rubbish. I didn't see the junkyard dog. Is he there? Yep, he's there. He's in, he's in a dark match. He's in an incredibly long dark match. With someone, <laughs> I think I, I, I found it on Wikipedia. It's, it sounds like it is a painfully long match for the Junkyard Dog in 1991. He is in a dark match against Black Bart, which is nearly 13 minutes long. Yeah, wow. I can't I can't even imagine trying to watch that one. Yeah, so this one only goes for five and a half minutes, and it ends when Old Black Blood picks up Josh's axe. But Dustin, then Dustin Rhodes is one of the lumberjack, hits Blood's knee behind the referee's back with a baseball bat. And Big Josh gets the inside cradle for the victory. Matt, an instant classic. I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, absolutely five stars. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot you can really say to it because realistically not a lot happened other than when the uh, the lumberjacks would actually get involved and just start fighting each other which is the only time like, like you said they told that the crowd actually seemed to care um so unless the lumberjacks got involved nobody was interested so it didn't really make for the best match and i suppose we can be grateful for the fact that it was really short at least there's that yeah i mean the, the best bit in the match is where um basically big josh basically runs on the spot on black blood which was quite enjoyable it's like a it's like a, a, a mini coup de gras if you will but other than that that that's it this match is absolute toilet i can't remember what they call it but it's it's because it's, it's as if billy jack haynes or black black blood is a log and he's running yeah. on the log it's, that's the idea it was a log roll log, log roll, roll. There you go. i literally quoted it i thought that was ridiculously funny great name I mean, you can't fault them for their consistency in the Big Josh character. He is a lumberjack. His move is the log roll, and he's in a lumberjack match. I mean, in fairness, they've got it spot on. 
But yeah, the the match is 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 not great. We do get a release German suplex at one point in the match, and that is about as good as it gets. Not great. Probably the less spoken about it, the better. Speaking of things that aren't great, up next is El Gigante versus a one man gang. One man gang accompanied by Kevin Sullivan. Before the match, Bischoff interviews Kevin Sullivan, who has gang on a chain by the neck. What the fuck is going on here? Sullivan then goes on and talks some absolute utter nonsense fuck knows what's going on in his head i'm starting to believe that all of the create the creative quote-unquote stuff that's going on on this show is the brainchild of kevin sullivan because it matches this promo anyway old omg as i like to call him looks very different to normal here he's got like proper like loads of hair he's got loads of hair it's weird and el gigante is accompanied by a by a group of dwarves one of them looks like queasy or sleazy or cheesy. I'm not sure which one, but he definitely, I think it's him. I think he's, uh, there can only be a limited number of, of guys that do the wrestling. And I'm, I'm assuming this is the same guy. The end comes when OMG gets given the old trademarked wrestling powder, but Higante kicks it into one man gang's eyes, then hits a clothesline to the back and gets the pin. After the match, Jim Ross says, no doubt these two will meet again. And uh, I'm telling you what, I'm sure we're all anticipating that one. Tom. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, six minutes goes as well. Yes, yeah, so my my first note was that one man gang does look completely different to when he was in WF. Completely different. WWE saw Al Hagante and thought, I have some of that. We'll have some of that, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? What's wrong with them? They're absolute psychos. This match is shit. This it's absolute <laughs> shit. This is so bad. And like, if you're gonna have anybody against El Gigante, you wanna have someone who could at least bump or make him look better than he is. Not one man gang who, at his best, was rubbish. It's just awful. It's so bad. And why they felt the need to bring some little men down with him is is bonkers because he's massive enough. He's absolutely huge. And I I don't have any notes on this match other than I'm sat there thinking, what the fuck am I watching? Because there's there's a bit where a one-man gang attacks El Gigante with a wrench. And uh, even that doesn't look impressive. And then a new obesity where El Gigante wins after something happens involving some white powder. And it's not the fun kind. <laughs> and then at the end of the match, Tony Schiavone has the temerity to say, give the big man a lot of credit. He showed a lot of wrestling skills in this match. <laughs> So much so that I had to rewind it to, to make sure I hadn't misheard that entirely. And my last note on this match is, thank Christ that's over, because it... it... <laughs> <laughs> that's how bad it was. It, made it was, true. yeah. Because it is fucking appalling. It is It is appalling. It is, And I don't know why anyone thought it wouldn't be. I can only assume that whoever's booking this stuff is not a wrestling person. Because... Someone said they've lined up matches that are simply not going to work. Ron Simmons versus Oz. Big Josh versus Black Blood. El Gigante versus One Man Gang. They're just, they've got no chance. They've just got no, no chance of, of being any good whatsoever. Like, why did anyone ever think that they would be decent? And on top of that, you've got the scaffold match. And on top of that, you've got a chain match, which we've already discussed before. It's got real limitations. And then you've got the cage matches at the end. It's fucking silly. Matt. How how did you find the El Gigante One Man Gang classic? If you remember earlier, I said that there might be something that was offensively bad. This was it. Yeah, now I remember you saying about One Man Gang, thinking he was a very impressive wrestler the last time you spoke about him. <laughs> do you, well, do you know what? Not based on this. <laughs> My God, was this awful. 
it wasn't even just bad. It was genuinely bad to the point of I could literally see the promoter laughing, just thinking, ha ha, we've got their money. We know this shit. We don't care. You know, your money is in our pocket. We're putting this on anyway. And that really wound me up. This was awful. Probably in some ways, like one of the more modern examples I can give for me is the great Carly. Is who El Gigant? Can I say it? El Gigant. However you pronounce it, El Gigant. However, fuck you say it. El Gigant. Whatever. I'm saying, damn it. Oh, I'm dying to death here. However you pronounce this game was absolutely god awful. Yes, keep it up. I know. Keep going. Let's just let is, that stay there. Let's let that rest, shall we? The thing is, Matt, you had such a panic. <laughs> you had such a panic in your eyes when you realised he said. Oh, Higan, Higan, Higan. I was like, no, oh, shit, fucked it up. Can't say it. Oh, uh, that was good. El oh. Giganti. Uh, or whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> the big fucking tall one who can't work a damn. That's that's pretty much as apt a description as I can give. Giant yeah, Gonzalez. Um, Giant Gonzalez. Yeah, just, just call him the big cunt. Yeah, that, that's, that's probably an apt name. Just the, the finish was awful. His selling was <laughs> dreadful. Oh, for the love of God. <laughs> Amazing. I, to be honest, it was worth me watching that match just for that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, like I said, the finish was awful. His selling was atrocious. You know, the, his excuse for a clothesline at the end, which what was that? This... He wasn't a wrestler. Let's be honest. No. He wasn't a wrestler. That's the thing. And I, you, you, you said that the promoter was was probably laughing. As I said before, I actually think that this is a sign of a promoter who just simply doesn't know. Just doesn't know what's good and what's bad. Mm. So he's just chucking stuff out there. And that's kind of how I felt about a lot of this stuff. I was already thinking this about Oz, for example. I was already thinking this about the Alexandra York kind of thing and that gimmick i was thinking this about like loads of them all the loads of the wrestlers have got their names changed so we've already talked about the fact that we've got the young pistols that used to be the southern boys we've got mm. richard morton and terence taylor you know uh, what is what's going on like why are they all got <laughs> weird oh, names you know it's terence taylor the red rooster terry taylor yeah 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 exactly mm. yeah. I, don't, I don't know why i didn't that didn't <laughs> did not occur to me at all it's just weird. They've got like, I did, it's, I, it's just got the feeling of someone who's gone, I know how to do this. I'll just make it like WWF, but much shitter, much, much shitter. Like, and this is the bears talking about because it's the same mistake Vince Russo made in many respects is that he thought what WCW needed to do was become more like WWF. And actually what they needed to do was accentuate why they were different from WWF and accentuate the fact that they were the wrestling promotion. That's what they did. They, they needed to bring the, the production values up. They needed to improve that side of things. But in terms of what they did well was the wrestling. They didn't need to be a cheap, shit, second-rate version of WWF, which is exactly what this was coming off as in so many cases. And this is a classic case of that. Chucking out a guy just because he's massive, even though he can't wrestle. In any way. No, I'm not talking about he can't wrestle in the John Cena way or the Roman Reigns way. He can't do anything. He can barely walk. No. So now I've had that rant. Let's move on. 
<laughs> we then get the first package hype video package of the night where there's footage of the previous pay-per-view Super Bowl one and a WCW TV show where Koloff attacks Sting and another attack at Clash of the Champions as a sad fan watches on who had just been celebrating with Sting and Koloff kind of looks like he's kind of threatening the kid and his mother stands in front of him to sort of protect him from the mean old Russian Nikita Koloff. That precedes the Russian chain match between these two and effectively ends when Koloff manages to hit all four corners. We'll go into whether or that whether or not that was valid in a second. Tom, what did you make of this? No, this was rubbish. This was rubbish, <laughs> this match. Like it's pretty intense from the off. I mean, this is the most personality of fire I've ever seen from Sting. But then he goes starts going for the corners and then Koloff starts to get the upper hand. And it's just not very good. I don't chain matches aren't very good. They're not my cup of tea anyway. They're no, not very they're not good. They're, they're not overly matches, long. Strap matches, shit. Yeah, they're, they're not very good. And I don't understand. But there's there's a couple of crap kind of low blues in this. There's a couple of spots involving the chains and the old testes that seem to land pretty well with the crap. But other than that, that's it. And Kudolf wins after he falls into the turnbuckle, basically. But that is it. I just didn't think it was very good at all. And my mind actually started wondering it during this match as I started looking back at the card over. And almost in every match up until this point, someone in the match leaves and does better in WWF. Have you noticed this yet? No, so but... First, uh... in the first match, we've got Steve Austin. He goes on to bigger and better things in WWF. Then the next match, you got the Diamond Stud in Razor Moon. Then the third match, you've got Oz. And Ron Simmons, you could probably say. Although he did win the champ he did win the championship in WCWC, but there's definitely one. Then the next match you've got Alexandra York and Terry Ronalds. Then the following match you get Dustin Rhodes, who I'd say does more in WF than he ever did in WCW. Then you've got Brian Pillman. Oh, I don't know. I think you you think you're stretching. On really? I I, th- I don't know. I think the, the uh, loose gimmick uh, stuff in, in barely. WWE. He barely wrestled though, Tom. He did about three matches and then before he died. I mean, he literally yeah. barely. He barely. Well, uh... Yeah, but he stood, stood next to Brahma, so that's more than anything <laughs> that he didn't do. And and you could, I don't don't necessarily say that Johnny would be bad, but you could say Teddy Long certainly had a better career in WWF than he did in WCW. Then you've got um, Matt Bourne, Doink, uh, and then you've got El Gigante. <laughs> no, I, I'm not having. <laughs> what was his name? <laughs> El Gigante. Yeah, El El Gigante. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yeah. El Hamamagadad. Hey. <laughs> Tell you what, mate. It's what I think you said at one point. Tell you what, co-main event of WrestleMania 9, pretty much. Co-main event of WrestleMania 9. So, wow, what a way, what what. way to what a way to try and make your point by stretching the truth. I mean, that was no, impressive. But you've got to admit, like, okay, maybe that's better. I'd truth, say, but... I'd say, one man gang would have been the better option of those two. I mean, that was admittedly beforehand rather yeah. than afterwards, but you know, still think it would have been the better. Hey, show. hey, hey, WrestleMania 17, mate, gimmick battle royal. There you go. So there we go. The proof is in the awful tasting 1991 WCW pudding. Yeah, this match is shit. Don't like it. I've never really had much. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not a big Sting guy since he claims the sharpshooter and it doesn't do it very well. And I just never, I never really got him. Still don't get him really. And Nikita Kulov, I think is all right, but I haven't seen enough of him. And I think I've, I've maybe three or four matches I've seen. Two of them have been Russian chain matches. So I'm not particularly enamored by him so this match didn't really do it for me the crowd pop a few times mainly when sting does a variation of an atomic drop whilst he's still got the chain between kudos legs and things like that but other than that nah not for me this one um the the video package for this match did a really good job of um of promoting this and making it feel like a big deal to be honest as soon as this kicked in i, I thought all oh, right okay hang on this is clearly important I, this needs to hold my attention so the, the video package they did was, was a really good job the, the match quality itself 
I'm not a fan of, of these types of things. Again, if you know, similar to the scaffold thing, where it's not an actual match. You know, it's it's a competition. Who can touch all four corners of the ring first? It just it doesn't seem like that's a, a you know like a reasonably good way for a, a babyface anyway to to want to win. You know, ha ha, I'm better than you. I can touch four corners of a ring post quicker than you. You know, it, who cares? It's just not great. Sting. I have become a bit of a fan of actually, and a lot, a lot of it is from his presentation. I'm not, I haven't seen that much of him, but from what I have, he always seems like a big deal. Every time I see a Sting match, I think, right, okay, I know this is going to be important. So it is always something that I really stop, and he, he really does tend to hold my attention. So I do tend to enjoy Sting matches. Like I said, the quality of this wasn't great. Nikita Koloff was really good, and that surprised me because, again, I haven't seen that much of him. So for me, that was interesting. That was something quite new. But yeah, like I said, this uh, it wasn't like match quality, not so much, but it felt important. And there wasn't that much on the show that actually felt important. So it was a nice change. I, I pretty much agree with everything he said, Matt, to be honest. I, th- I, I think they are hamstrung by the Russian chain gimmick. It's not, it's not, it's not good. It's not good at all. Hate them, hate strap matches, hate that. Just also, and also, again, it's that referee interpretation thing. I think when you're talking about the disqualification thing, Tom, I agree with you on the over the top rope thing. That that works for me. But this isn't about one specific rule. This is how you win the match, and it's effectively a judgment by someone as to whether you've won or not, which is ridiculous. The momentum thing makes no sense anyway. But in this match, it makes no fucking sense whatsoever. They are wrestling for about six minutes. For the last four corners being touched, there's no momentum in either of them. They basically no. hit the first turnbuckle, hit the second one. They fight for two minutes. The referee calls it that they've still got the momentum, apparently. In the third turnbuckle, they wrestle for another two minutes. And then they still got the momentum, apparently. And Sting goes for a Stinger splash in the corner, hits Nikita Koloff into the corner, and Nikita Koloff wins as a consequence of that. It's fucking stupid. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And this particular one was completely inconsistent with even the flimsy set of rules that the chain match has already got. So I just thought that was a real problem for them. I like both of them. In I'm not a massive fan of either uh, of Sting, but I I quite like Sting. And I think more than ever at this point, they desperately need Sting to be the star that he could be because they've got no Ric Flair anymore. So Sting is pretty much it now. He's the he's the main man. And I like what I've seen of Nikita Koloff so far. But again, you know they had no chance with the, with the chain gimmick. It's just not it's just not for me at all. So as the crew put the cage up. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone talk about the world title match. There's then a video package hyping both Lex Luger and Barry Windham. Footage of Luger and Windham beating some jobbers. That's about it. It's like they couldn't find any footage of these two guys that have been on their roster for the last three, four years. So they went to the most recent episode of Saturday Night or or Main Event or whatever it was that they were doing at the time and basically gave you highlights of their last match. It was a really, really lazy video package. Do you know, they waffle on about this match for ages, and it didn't occur to me that it was because they were trying to set the cage up. I was like, yes. why are they talking about this for so long? I was already bored going into the match. <laughs> <laughs> the cage hangs from the ring, and as you said, Tom, it's all skew if it's all over the place. It looks like it's drunk. It just needs to go home. Uh, if I was one of the wrestlers about to take part in this match, I'd be like, I'm not sure I want to wrestle in this thing. It doesn't look particularly safe. And then as JR and Shivani wrap up their talk, the crowd begin to chant quite loudly, 
we want flair mm-hmm. in the background and that then precedes the match it's lex luger versus barry windham for the vacant wsw world heavyweight championship it's a steel cage match it's 12 and a half minutes long and it ends when harley race comes out with old mr hughes which we discussed a few weeks back on king of the ring 93 episode and harley race says something to lex luger luger then hits a pile driver on Wyndham and gets the win. After the match, Harley Race lifts Luger's hand and Mr. Hughes stands in front of Luger almost to block Wyndham from attacking him. Apparently, Luger turning heel in the process. Before I give you your chance to say what you want to say about this match, I've got one last. Tyron Baxton of the week. So WCW, as a consequence of the fact that Ric Flair had kept the old WCW world title, WCW had to commission a new world championship belt. However, the new belt could not be readied in time for the event, so the company was forced to improvise. A championship wrestling from Florida title belt that was in the possession of Dusty Rhodes was used, and a metal plate with WCW World Heavyweight Champion was attached to the front. Tyron Baxton of the week. I thank very much, old man, for the soundtrack. I thought the belt looked really crap. <laughs> yeah. I made a note saying it looks really, really shit because I thought it was big gold at the time, which presumably it would have been. Yeah, and Flair took it off with him. That's what yeah. Flair took away with him. So that's um, so awful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Matt, what did you think? I didn't even notice the belt, to be honest. I, I have no idea how that escaped me. I, I just didn't even notice. It wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't really amount to anything. It, it wasn't long enough to for what was meant to be, you know, a, a main, well, you know, one of the main events, you know, for the world title. It it didn't feel like it was as important as it should have been. Um, although the one thing that I definitely have to point out is that Harley Race deserves the MVP of the night and is getting the MVP of the night for me for his motivational speaking <laughs> because <laughs> I burst out laughing at that finish. I, I I don't know what he said to him. All it takes is one word. And then he goes, gives a pile driver a wins. I just thought, wow. <laughs> well, I'd love to know what it was that he said. I mean, he should have bottled that and sold it. He could have made millions. But uh, yeah, as a match, it wasn't good. Yeah, the only thing for me that made it anything remotely worth entertaining but was that finish. Yeah, otherwise it was bad. Yeah, I, I was watching this match and I was like, why is this? To quote, I remember Old Man talking about this, the Legends Reunion, Tinky, my favourite Old Man quotes. Why is it so boring? <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what this was. I found this match so boring. The match takes ages to start. When it does start, there's a lovely head scissors from Lex Luger and nothing says a cage match. Like a nice head scissors on the floor for a long time. <laughs> then, after that, we get a sleeper from Luger which the commentators are very excited about. They say we've never seen Lex Luger do sleeping before, and they're very excited about that, which is encountered by Barry Windham into another sleeper. And it's at this stage where I'm thinking, fuck me, this is dreadful. This match is really bad. Now, what I will say is that Luger gets Windham in the torture rack, which does look great. The torture rack, especially the way he kind of like bounces and everyone's arms are flailing around, it does look like a good move, which is then counted into quite a nice suplex from Wyndham. But the commentators are constantly saying how great the match is. And it's not. It's not, it's not great. And what's annoying about this, and it annoys me about these, these kind of gimmick matches, because in a cage, they're trying to put over the brutality of the cage. And the match, and basically, like, there'll be like a backbreaker in the opening 10 minutes of the match. And there'll be 
or an opening two minutes of the match, and they'll be selling it like they've been through an absolute war, but they haven't been. <laughs> like it's just like a normal match, but everyone's just selling it too much. It's too slow. There's one bit where Wyndham hits Luger with a kick from the top rope, and it looks like he nearly kills Luger. So I'm pretty sure he just kicks him straight in the face. But then. You know, then, then the end comes down, and out of nowhere, Harley Race and Mr. Hughes come down. Is Mr. Hughes Welsh? I wondered. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, Mr. Hughes. He's coming down. I had a maths teacher called Mr. Hughes, and he was Welsh. And yeah, he just goes, goes give him a part driver. And he's like, all right, then. And he does it and wins. He brings the magic words. Yeah, the, I mean, the <laughs> tactics. It's a master stroke. Do you want to hit him with a really brutal move? And you might win this match. Good, I haven't <laughs> thought of that. Like a dummy. But like Luger has been selling his heart out in this match. He's in agony. He's beaten up. He's he's exhausted. And he wins the WWE title. He's no longer need to sell anything. Just gets out and pops out of the ring. And I was just like, oh, okay. All right, then. That's that done. Thank God. I find, I'm not going to lie, I find this match so boring. I, ha- I threw my phone across the room because I kept on looking at it and stuff. This is when I started doing, so this is obviously we're releasing this in a, in a week or so's time. This is when I started doing the try and find the bold head, the forehead on uh, on on Twitter earlier today because I was bored during this match and that was when I started doing it. So the majority of this match, I was looking for wrestlers' foreheads to find out ones that were distinctive enough to get, but ones that weren't too hard. And that's why this is my match of the night. <laughs> no, it's not. So but, this this is my match of the night, but I don't necessarily disagree with what you said. It wasn't great, but I quite liked it. I, I thought it was all right. I think the reason, perhaps, why Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone were so up on it was that it was a wrestling match at the very least. It didn't have any silliness going on apart from the end, mm. which was silly. I I do agree, but I did think there were some really nice moments. I th- I think. Tom, you mentioned the bit where Lex Luger's got Wyndham in the torture rack. Wyndham kicks himself off the cage over over the top of his own head to land on his feet and then suplex him. That was really cool, that bit. I, so I did quite like this match. It was just, again, we've watched shows where there's nothing approaching this quality on it. So I was quite thankful for this. But I, I do understand, especially at the end of this show, if, if you are bored by this point in the show, then this match isn't going to wake you up. Maybe there was a part of me as well that was thinking Lex Luger versus Barry Wyndham is going to be about the most boring match I can ever imagine. And so I almost like talked myself into giving it a chance, which maybe in on another day I wouldn't have done. But I, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I, I didn't. I thought this was all right, but it wasn't. It wasn't the end, which maybe it should be. Now that's the thing we were kind of talking about at the beginning. I wonder whether they didn't want to put this on the end because they anticipated the We Want Flair chance and the Nature Boy chance that also uh, took place during this one. Of course, this wasn't going to be the main event. It was going to be Ric Flair versus Lex Luger, and it only had. A couple of weeks build in fact i would imagine that a lot of people in the arena probably didn't even know that rick flair wasn't going to be there it wasn't a time when you had the internet and, and news just traveled really fast i'm sure a lot of people were like where is rick flair from my main event that i bought this ticket for and so i think that's why they didn't put it on last the thing is is what they did put on last was much much worse I guess the other thing, maybe the other reason they didn't put it on last is that Luger won the match and turned heel in the process, which, again, wasn't a very early 90s thing to do. You wouldn't usually end the show with the the big heel winning uh, and coming out on top. So, again, maybe that was another consideration. But I I think ultimately, if they were going to do this again, I would have cancelled the whole bloody scaffold match, put the 
cage matches on first and then it ended the show with Sting versus Nikita Koloff even though that wasn't a great match at least you've got the biggest star the biggest baby face the most popular baby face in the main event that would have been how I would have done it but ultimately it's very very strange and it probably if they if they had to do if they had to do these two cage matches last this has to be the last match of the show has to be yeah I guess so but it's just yeah it's just fucking Lex Luger <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, I, I'm starting to come round to Lex Luger pre WWE. I'm, I'm starting to come round to him and what he can offer. He's not amazing, but he there's something about him. He has got something, and um, I'm starting to come round to him a little bit. But not to say this was great, but it but it it, it held my attention for the time that it took place. So. That brings us all the way through the show. There's no more, you'll be happy to know, no more Byron Faxons of the week either. So it's just to give your rating out of 10 and your overall view of the of the night. Matt, why don't you go first? Okay, um, so already given MVP of the night, Harley Race. Um, my, Like I said, match of the night was Robert Gibson, Richard Morton. And my overall rating for the show, oh, I'm going to give a three. So... I'll give you my match of the night, haven't I? Which was the uh, the six man elimination tag. Uh, who was my MVP? Have I said it? Didn't you say it was the guy in the crowd with? Oh, things? the jorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm giving this a two. I also, I, one of the things that I factor in is I usually add extra points if there are matches that I would rewatch. Now, I thought the um, the two matches that we discussed, the the Rock and Roll Express implosion and the tag match were the only matches I would say I came close to enjoying. The rest of it, I, I would never, and I would never watch, and I, I wouldn't watch them again. So this is just not for me. There's some talent on this show, but it's just, they're just utilised in the wrong places and at the wrong time in the wrong matches. So, it, yeah, it's got to be a two, which is one of my lowest scores outside of uh, a WWE pay-per-view from 2015 through 17, I believe. I was hoping for a lot more than I got, even though, like I said, I didn't go in with loads of ex- with particularly high expectations, but I was expecting better than what I got. Yeah, I'm giving this a one. I'm giving this a one out of ten. I've not given many shows a one out of ten, but I've always said, and I maintain this, that the main event is the key to the rating. You start from the main event and then build from there. The main event's fucking atrocious, and the rest of the show doesn't help out at all. Like, there are three matches on here that are, I think, watchable and decent, one of them being the world title match, the other two being the elimination match, and the Ricky Morton-Robert Gibson match. But they're too far few and far between they're not good enough to bring the rating up as far as i'm concerned and there's then loads of other shit el Higanti versus one man gang black bart versus big josh oz versus ron simmons i mean for crying out loud what are you doing to me the scaffold match the chain match there's just a lot of not very good stuff it's very badly booked it's got the whole bait and switch thing as well about the main event which pissed me right off i was like but you can't i just don't think you can do that i know like i know that this is a long time ago and we're talking about a company that are now out of business but this is why you're out of business this kind of thing is why people go out of business is that you you lose the trust of your fan base because you don't deliver on the things that you've promised even though you know you can't deliver it's not like someone was injured and then you couldn't do it even though that was the case in some cases in terms of this match but the missy hyatt thing was always a bait and switch it was always a problem so for me that's really really bad they also of course have not coped well with the whole rick flair thing so i think the whole lex luger turning heel is possibly i'd be interested to know whether they were going to do that anyway with rick flair going up against him although i assume flair himself was a heel prior to leaving wcw i don't know he may not have been but 
it just feels like again they've rolled the dice on something thinking that we've got no other choice because flair's gone and this it was only two weeks before so it, it also causes loads of other problems like for example the <laughs> world title belt not being a new wcw world title box didn't have the time to make one <laughs> things like that they just it just make it laughable it's just a it's a bit of a joke of a show that's that's the thing and so i, I can't really give it anything but a one i think it's one of the worst things we've watched even though there was some bits of it that i didn't hate it was just really poor up and down in every way inside the ropes magazine said this a strong contender for the worst super show ever I, I, I mean it must be it must be it is really really poor it really is poor so that brings us all the way up to date with everything we need to do today tom thank you for joining me today thank you very much for having me and uh, as i said i'm not jumping on the old remembering bandwagon but i'm going to tell you all not to forget glenn jacobs is a cunt <laughs> also don't forget titus o'neill from couple of weeks ago <laughs> yeah to, to, to sign you. what a guy what a guy he is and matt thank you for your contributions as well gentlemen pleasure as always this has been the random wrestling review we'll be back again next week but until then take care oh, man,